If you're a Disney Plus subscriber and you're watching The Mandalorian, Jack and I have a podcast for you. Every week, we'll discuss the latest episode of The Mandalorian and talk about other great content and maybe some not-so-great content on Disney Plus as well. As two lifelong Star Wars fans, we have a ton of fun geeking out over all the little details of the show, and we want you to join us every Monday. So search for Disney Plus Reviews. That's Disney P-L-U-S Reviews. Hey, Phil, how about that, Baby Yoda? Baby Yoda says, what's the podcast? At Sif Pop. We're your movie friends. And are friends really friends? If you don't know them, so grab a popcorn. And head over to our row. So we can chat movies. Like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And today I'm joined by Sif Pop Writer Joe. Hey, everyone. How you doing? Uh, and I'm also joined by producer Phil. Yeah, glad to be back. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Uh, love having you guys on. I love getting, getting a chance to... Um, let some of our writers get a, get a voice and, uh, producer Phil normally on the back end of things, uh, getting a chance to, um, uh, to, to step out on the main stage for once, uh, well, you know, not once, but, uh, you know, um, for, for a turn and, uh, you know, just as much a part of uh Civ pop as the writers, um, with running Civ pop weekly and, uh, including uploading these episodes and getting them, getting them ready for you. So thanks for all you do, Phil. Really appreciate you. Yeah. So, um, so Joe and I, we write for Sifpop.com. We do uh, movie reviews, best ever challenges, other interesting movie related articles. Uh, so make sure to check out the website Sifpop.com to keep up with all that. Um, Phil, as he told us before, is uh, not quite as much of a movie buff, but uh, <laughs> is uh, like like I mentioned, just a master at the back end stuff. But uh, uh, we're still going to talk about some movies anyway. Um, we got uh, two coming out this week. We got uh, Belfast and Tick Tick Boom hitting um, your your screens. Um, in various different formats since Tick Boom's Netflix. Uh, and we got uh, Alita Battle Angel and Edge of Tomorrow for our SIF uh, topic. Uh, we wanted to go with a couple that are based off of some manga. So um, that'll, be, that'll be a fun discussion. Um, and we'll talk about movies that uh, we love that our partner doesn't. Uh, or vice versa for our B-plot. Uh, I thought that would be kind of a fun question to explore a little bit. <laughs> um you know, we're all married, so uh, you know. Hopefully, we got a chance to to know like what our spouse is like and uh, um, and what they don't like. And I, I'm just really excited to see you know like what what the answers are for that. Um, and the spinoff, we'll do a quick recommend or warn from each one of us. Uh, but first, let's get a chance uh, to re uh, like ask ask our friends uh, some movie questions um, to get started off, get to know you a little bit more. Uh, Phil, I'm curious since you said you're not quite the movie person, uh, you don't see but you said, I think 15, um, is that just new releases a year? Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, there's certain like genres that I'll, I'll watch everything of like, you know, if it's going to be like, uh, Pixar or Marvel, like I'm totally there. Um, I do, um, a podcast about Disney plus, uh, Disney movies. So like, you know, pretty much every Disney movie, um, for the most part, pretty much every Disney movie that comes out, um, I have to watch it just because of our podcast, but, um, and then that's about all I have time for. So like all the, um, I think we, we did like the uh, Oscar party uh, together at Aaron's house um, earlier this year. And um, like all, all of the movies, all of the Oscar nominated movies <laughs> that he was like doing his binge thing from Friday night all the way to Sunday. I hadn't seen any of them. And so um, I actually got to come over and watch 
uh, Minari um, with you guys. Uh, and that, that was the only movie I watched before watching the Oscars. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of how I roll. <laughs> Very nice. Well, do you have uh, do you have a movie that like has come out that you think is maybe kind of flown under the radar for twenty twenty one? Specifically, something in recent memory that you're just like, wow, I really feel like people should be talking about this, and nobody is. Yeah, I I mean, I honestly have not seen a lot of movies this year. Um, I was thinking back over, because I thought maybe the question was like, you know, over the last four or five years. I mean, that would be um, fine too. Yeah, I one movie that I, I, I always like, if I get the chance to talk about it, I definitely jump at the chance, is um, Free Solo. Have you guys seen that documentary? Yeah, man. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic documentary. Yeah. Yeah, I so I have not really been a documentary person very much in my life, and in the last like year and a half or so, I probably watched more documentaries in the last couple of years than I have in my entire lifetime. And um, one of them was Free Solo, and um, came out I think four years ago, four or five years ago, something like that. Sounds about right. And um, boy, like I, I didn't get a chance to watch it until a couple of years ago, but. Um, man, this thing absolutely blew me away. You want to watch a documentary that uh, if you've not seen it or not heard of it, um, you know, it had, I think about 29 million at the box office. So, you know, not huge numbers, but, um, you know, pretty decent, especially for a documentary. Um, So probably a lot of people didn't see it. Um, It's on Disney Plus. So if you have Disney Plus, you already own the movie essentially. And um, totally recommend it. It is, I, I could go talk about it for 10 minutes. So I'll give you like the 30 second pitch, but basically... It is an end to a culture of rock climbing that you've never seen before, uh, never even heard of before, probably about guys who climb massive rocks, like you know, two or three thousand foot um, structures of, of rock uh, without a rope. Uh, and basically, it's um, accomplished this massive, inc- impo- nearly impossible feat for any human to do or die like those are your two options uh and uh it, it, the documentary obviously talks a lot about the details and the specifics of how to pull this off without a, of course dying um which is the bad <laughs> part of the deal um but it also goes into the psyche and like what has to be going through your mind to even want to attempt this like what kind of thrill are you trying to seek um this is the only thing that will like excite you type of thing and it, it i think feel like half of the documentary is really just trying to figure out what the answer to why like what what is the answer to that question why do you do this um and so uh yeah if you've not not done a whole lot of rock climbing stuff or don't know very much about it i've done i've dabbled a little bit so i was already kind of intrigued but um yeah by the time i i finished it i was just like that was absolutely amazing i learned i learned a ton so it really is like one of the best documentaries ever made um, I think it won the best Oscar that year for best documentary feature. Oh, yeah, it won it. it won the year in 2018. Yeah, um, yeah, it did. And um, yeah, gosh, it's uh, the best part of that is when they're interviewing the girlfriend and she's yes. talking about like how she justifies it, and you're like, what are you even saying? Like, he's out there dangling from thousand feet mountains, and, you know, failing with wires as he's you know anyway, um, you know, as he's preparing to to do it without wires. It's just like. He's going to die. Like, he's going to die doing this. It's going to happen. Um, yeah, the guys shooting the cameras are like, are, are they were like, in one scene, they're pondering over the ethics of filming a man's death. Like, you know, and then like publish it. Yeah. Like, do we publish it? You know? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Joe, what about you? Do you have something that you feel kind of slipped under the radar that you just like really think is like, how is nobody talking about this? Uh, yeah. Um, 
I too chose something from uh, kind of a previous year. Uh, I went with Undone um, from 2019. Uh, it's relative to what we're going to be talking about because Rosa Salazar is also in, in uh, Alita Battle Angel. Um, I think it was the series. I, I believe it's getting renewed for a second season, but I still think it was something that people didn't quite like grasp or get into right away. Um, I love like kind of rotoscoping kind of animation they use for it. The storytelling is really solid. Um, and it kind of knows when to kind of pull at the heartstrings, but also kind of throw in like a chuckle here or two. Uh, good comedy drama. Um, and also has like a tinge of sci-fi also that really kind of like helps propel it and make it like really unique. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend that. That's on um, Amazon Prime right now. Um, cool. I don't know if either either one of you have, have seen it, but I've not. Yeah, I, I highly suggest it. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I'm just realizing in the notes that I just said one previously released film or TV show that you loved that slipped under the radar. Um, so that's one of those things that my mind thought like ideally this year, but. um so i totally get that uh my pick is uh is in 2021 and i feel like with with my top picks like i feel like i've just like talked them off on this podcast i mean coda is my favorite film of the year so far and the night house is my second um but i've mentioned both of them frequently um so like i don't i don't want to just like sound like a broken record so i'll go ahead and um frank uh frank phil i want to go ahead and toss out another uh documentary that i think is really incredible actually is uh the billy eilish one from apple tv plus earlier this year it's Hmm. surprisingly really good it's a little long um but as somebody who wasn't a fan had very little experience with billy eilish i thought it was fascinating and it's one of those things that they got a documentary crew at the perfect time because you know by the time this came out early 2021 Billie Eilish was um, a superstar. Um, you know, I, I think Bad Guy was the real song that propelled her into like, everybody needs to be looking at this person and this artist. Um, but like the documentary film starts like a year before they even start writing Bad Guy. And so like they're casually writing this song that becomes like the biggest song in pop music for a decade. Like, and, uh, and there's a little bit in there of them writing uh, the new 007 theme. Um, it's very brief. Um, it's like, it says like two and a half hours. It's maybe a little long, but I think it's, I haven't seen many music documentaries, but like, I'm sure this is up there. Um, you know, I, I know Gimme Shelter, the Rolling Stones one is really popular and, you know, Spinal Tap is the, uh, is a, is a mockumentary, but I know that's <laughs> widely regarded. I just, uh, I think this one's really good. Um, and I, uh, yeah, just surprised that so few people have seen it, but I just know it's cause it's Apple T plus, um, so uh cool well i have uh one random question before we move on um something to kind of gauge your guys interest on something else um joe we'll start with you uh what harry potter house are you what hogwarts house uh hufflepuff um actually i work at warner brothers uh games in sf and uh it's kind of like almost mandatory that you take the test like the proper pottermore test i didn't even think Um, about that (laughs) took it twice and got uh hufflepuff twice i was hoping i was gryffindor but uh I'll go with Hufflepuff. Okay. I think I think at heart that I am a Hufflepuff, uh, more of a people person, really accepting. So, um, yeah, I think it, I think it works out just fine. Yeah, uh, Phil, what about you? Sorry, I'm just like I'm still <laughs> reeling over the fact that he works at Warner Brothers Games. I, I have so many questions, Joe. Uh, I probably answered none of them. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, so okay, sorry. Uh, what Harry Potter house? Am I? Yeah, yeah. Well, Hogwarts house. Um, I mean, definitely not Slytherin. Um, 
I don't know which 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 ones is all the good are the all the good kids from? I was like a <laughs> I, I was like a goody two shoes when I was when I was growing up as a kid. Like, well, but but goody two shoes doesn't necessarily mean you're you're a Gryffindor. <laughs> and look, look, I'm tr- I'm yeah. saying all this out of like I'm like I would call myself a, a I like the franchise. I'm far from a fan of the franchise, so I was really hoping somebody was going to be like, I've seen all the movies once <laughs> ten years ago, you know, like because <laughs> um, that's kind of me. Um, <laughs> And, uh, so I like, but, but I know at least enough to know that like, like there are good people on Slither, on Ravenclaw and and Hufflepuff. Yeah. Um, so I don't Uh, know. What what would you say is your like most defining attribute or characteristic? So, yeah, I I should have taken like a a Hogwarts quiz or something like that on, um, (laughs) Buzzfeed. Well, but this, but this is the point is you didn't (laughs) get a chance to prep for this question. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I'm looking him up right now. Gryffindor is known for great. We're getting into it now. Bravery. Daring, nerve, and chivalry. That's probably not me. Uh, Hufflepuff is hard work, dedication, patience, loyalty, and fair play. Uh, Ravenclaw is intelligence, knowledge, curiosity, creative creativity, and wit. And uh, Slytherin is ambition, leadership, self-preservation, cunning, and resourcefulness, and and like evil, I guess. Um, but um, I would say, <laughs> based on those, um... yes, Slytherin isn't like it isn't essentially. You know, it's not always evil. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say of those, of those, like with those descriptions, um, Ravenclaw for me, um, uh, the two things that are like really important to me and I spend most of my time on are computers and music. Um, so I, uh, I don't have a cool job like Joe, but I do uh, work at a college and do like servers and IT stuff there. And then, um, but I also, uh, I'm in a couple bands and write music. So um, the uh, knowledge and creativity um, aspects of Ravenclaw are probably, I don't know about wit, but <laughs> the knowledge and creativity uh, is definitely um, iconic of who I am. So Cool. Yeah. Uh, when I got, but well, before I got married, when I met my wife, we, um, she is a very big Harry Potter fan. And uh, so she made me um, take a quiz um but uh i'm i'm also a hufflepuff and it's just really like i think it all comes down to um uh that that loyalty being a characteristic um is one of my more defining attributes hmm. um you know and I, I i'm pretty easygoing and um a pretty relaxed person and like there's just a reason that you don't really hear from a lot of hufflepuffs in the books because they're just the ones that are like look i'm just here to have a little bit of fun yeah you know? so that's why, I like, I, I think Cedric was a Hufflepuff. But yes, he's probably, probably one of the more noteworthy um, as far as the films go. Yeah, but I'm like, do we know any other ones really? Like, do any of them have like substantial roles? I, I'm, I don't. It, we pretty much just follow the Gryffindors. Like, I can't even think of a single Ravenclaw that we know. Um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, but they have the coolest name. So, um, cool. Uh, there you go. There's our Hogwarts houses sorting hat. Uh, <laughs> we believe would put us in these categories so or in these houses so um there we go um there's your on the spot question uh we got two films to talk about that are coming out here soon um let's start with belfast uh belfast is a new com- film coming out uh it's gonna be i think theaters only if i'm if i'm right um this is at toronto international film festival so it's already got a little bit of a buzz going to it but probably the biggest thing going into it is um, it's written and directed by Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh. Um, Phil was saying he doesn't really know directors. And I think Branagh is one of those like, um, you know, like oh, 
he's he's weird because he does a lot of Shakespearean stuff. So he does like you know Hamlet and Macbeth and lots of other uh, much much to do about nothing. He was Hercule Poirot in the newest uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Um, he was in Tenet, but he didn't direct it. Um, he did Thor, the first one. Huh. Um, he's in Harry Potter too. He is in Harry Potter. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, he directed a really bad Jack Ryan movie and. Uh, um, also did a Cinderella remake in 2015 that, you know, so that's uh, a lot of Disney stuff, but he, he unfortunately directed Artemis Fowl um, that came out on Disney plus. That's last true. Year, so. He did do that. He so he's do he's that. had his ups and his downs. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but he also doesn't do a terrible amount of writing. Um, it looks like he just does a lot of directing. Um, so, but he did write this one. So he, he wrote uh, Henry the fifth, much ado about nothing, a midwinter's tale, Hamlet, Love Labor's Lost um, and the Magic Flute, but like it's very spread out stuff. And then Belfast, which I don't know if it's based off of anything. I'm, I don't think it is. Um, but the anyway, the synopsis is a young boy and his working class family experience the tumultuous late 1960s. Obviously, you can imagine this takes place in Belfast, um, although they're speaking English. So who knows? <laughs> Maybe I'm completely wrong. Um, so. Um, Belfast, we've gotten a chance to take a, a brief look at this. Uh, before we go any further, I got to know how excited you are about this. So our, our barriers are, you know, this is a theater exclusive. Um, we're going to take any um, equation or any attribute out of it that's going to keep you away from other than just your free will. So budget's not a thing. Um, uh, you know, theater exclusivity is not a thing, whatever. Just on your own free will and volition, how soon do you think you would want to check this movie out? Phil, we'll start with you. Would you go opening weekend? Would you wait for a discount night? Would you wait till you can rent it at home? We wait till it's on streaming service you already paid for, or are you just not? Uh, I thought you said budget wasn't an option or a, a factor. <laughs> um, no, I, I would say um, I, I watched the trailer for it. Um, I'm a huge Judy Dench fan. Um, I love any, like when she started narrating, I was like, okay, I'm all in. Um, this is some uh, movie I would definitely watch. I don't think I would probably go see it in the theater. Um, as I admitted earlier, I, I, the, the clear like Oscar bait kind of movies like this one um, aren't necessarily ones that, that I really gravitate towards, but it does look very finely directed, like um, the black and white and everything. It just, it looks really cool. Cool. Uh, what about you, Joe? Where do you land on that? Uh, yeah, I would, I would say uh, for me, this is a matinee. Um, it looks like Kenneth Branagh is very passionate about this. Uh, this seems like something in his wheelhouse. It's kind of a loose autobiography um, from what I've read up on. Um, so it is it is somewhat based off of true events or at least time period, um, which just takes place in Belfast, um, Ireland. Um, yeah, overall, the, the kind of stylistic choice to go with black and white, the, the shadows look really great. Um, I'm just kind of surprised not to see more Dutch angles here um, since he's very famous for doing so. Yeah, uh, I'm sure they'll pop up somewhere in the film. Um, but, but overall, it looked really tasteful. It uh, it looked intriguing. And uh, yeah, it looked like it was going to have the proper ebbs and flows that this type of movie is going to have. And very, like I said, it's a very, it was taking, taking place in a very tumultuous time in Belfast. So I always kind of like to see what a director, like through their lens, like how they kind of like picture that time period. Yeah. Um, and especially like when it's through a, you a different lens, a, your, um, you know, a younger version uh, of themselves. I think that's always interesting. Man, I, I got to say, guys, there's something about this that really is pulling me um, towards this film. I think I want to go see this as soon as I possibly can. Uh, I'm not an awards baity like type of guy. Um, I don't 
I really didn't like Nomadland all that much, especially on a second watch. I was kind of pulling against it winning the Best Picture Oscar, which isn't to take away from its achievement that it's really like technically well done. Um, you know, I wasn't going to take away from that. And Chloe Zhao is doing some really excellent work um, in terms of like visually and narratively. It's just not a story I was terribly interested in and uh, not something that like really held my attention and developed me and all that. So I'm not normally an Oscar Beatty kind of guy. Um, but there's something about this that is just really charming. And I think a lot of that falls on Jamie Dornan's shoulders, um, which is wow, what, in, what an interesting career he's had because he really kind of came on the scene with uh, Fifty Shades of Grey being the titular character. He was the huntsman in uh, Once Upon a Time TV series before that, um, which I haven't seen. But, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey was obviously the most popular thing he did. Um, and then uh, most recently, uh, seen him in Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar earlier this year. Um, and he's like maybe the best part about that movie, like almost pos- almost <laughs> probably the best part of that movie, uh, which is already a really good movie in my opinion. But uh, he just looks so charming and delightful in this movie. I, it's something about him is just captivating me and making me like can't wait to watch this movie. Um, I don't have any reason other than it. it's just a delight every time I see the trailer come on. Um, so. So this is kind of towards the beginning of the war, right? I didn't didn't the like the troubles or whatever that's based on start in like the late nineteen sixties. Yeah, it says the late sixties in the synopsis. So I think it's at the beginning because it, it definitely went into the nineties. Um, but um, yeah, I th- I think what's intriguing about it is it's it looks like to me like a coming of age story. You know, this kid that has to you know grow up very quickly. Um, but as opposed to like most coming of age movies that you can think of, it's forceful in in this in this particular one. Like um, in the trailer, they mentioned the, the phrase "kids are getting killed." Um, so you know, it's it's him like basically having to become an adult because like some of his like ten ten year old or twelve however old he is, I guess twelve or thirteen year old friends are dying. Like um, him basically having to kind of man up, you know, before he's before his time um, is kind of where it looks like it's it's headed but um I, i'm interested to know like how much of it it's clearly going to center around this kid but um how much they'll get into like the politics of like you know the ira and all the you know the war the warring stuff um yeah yeah um and also as we're talking about this uh earlier t- today it's you know, a week from the time this launches uh dicer released his like movies to watch out for for awards contention that he apparently makes and decided to make public that public this year. Um, so I don't know if that means he's seen it or not, or he's just like, Hey, like, look, you got a black and white movie coming out that looks gorgeous and looks charming, delightful, like, you know, look out for that for award season. So I don't know if he's already seen it or not, but like this was number one on his list. And I don't, I don't think it's ranked. I think it's just like by chronology. Um, so I look, this already has a lot of buzz about it, but this looks like it's probably going to be nominated for some awards. It does look a little Oscar baity. That's maybe the, the one thing that kind of keeps me like, uh, like, uh, maybe I won't like, I don't, I don't really like Roma and, um, I don't like, um, I didn't like Nomadland all that much. I'm not interested in seeing Green Book, um, which I never have. So I did really like Roma. (laughs) I know I'm in the minority and that like, that's fine. I'm willing to be there. Um, you know, as we'll talk about in the B plot, like, just because somebody loves a movie doesn't mean I have to. And just because I don't love a movie doesn't mean you don't have to. So, um, yeah, so we'll get a chance yeah. to uh, to talk about some more examples like like that later with the people that we love the most. But, uh, um, yeah, just uh, I, don't, I don't know how to say it other than just something about this movie just feels like uh, 
an experience. Maybe, maybe it's just like, it's an experience I want, right? I need a little good, bit of good hardness in my life right now. You know, I think we all do after the last year and a half and, um, you know, just lots of things. Maybe I just kind of need a little lighthearted fun film, <laughs> you know? So, um, I'm all out of thoughts. Do you guys have any others before we move on? I, I think it's worth mentioning that kind of the, the main character of the movie is, is a, um, a newcomer, um, Jude, Jude Hill, I think. Um, yeah, I, I just didn't know if he was a newcomer. I just didn't recognize him, but you know, um, yeah. Um, I mean, that was kind of also the case with, well, there's a lot of ones that kind of become case. I don't, I don't know if, uh, the kid from Jojo rabbit was in anything before Jojo. Mm. I'm sure he was. Um, I didn't I think see that it. was his first film. Yeah. He was really terrific in it. Yeah. Um, Joe, do you have any other final thoughts? I mean, it also helps that Kieran Hines is in it. I love anything that he's in. Um. Except, for, <laughs> except for the original Justice League. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that's, yeah, that's fall. that doesn't fall on his shoulder. And, it's not and, his fault. and even Zack Snyder's Justice League for me. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, yeah. Uh, I do like Syrian Hines. I think he's a good actor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, something about Jamie Dorn- Dornan just is the, is the guy for me for this one. Uh, well, also I got Tick Tick Boom coming out this uh, this week. Um, this is a Netflix movie. Um, now I don't know when exactly this comes out in theaters versus Netflix, but it is coming. Uh, let's see, in select theaters and on Netflix, November nineteenth. So this is going to be simultaneous. Sometimes Netflix does like two week ex- exclusivity. I think that's to get around um, awards, like to make sure that you know they can still have something like The Irishman nominated. Is if it gets a theatrical exclusive window, but I think all that has kind of been temporarily allowed for um, for this year's Oscars because of because uh, of COVID. So maybe since they don't have to worry about it, they, so this will be in theaters and on Netflix, November nineteenth. Uh, this is uh, Andrew Garfield led, uh, Lin Manuel Miranda directed, Stephen Levinson written, um, uh, Vanessa Hudgens starring as well. Um, Synopsis, uh, on the cusp of his 30, 30th birthday, a promising young theater composer navigates love, friendship, and the pressures of life as an artist in New York City. Uh, the Andrew Garfield character is also playing um, the creator of Rent, the musical. So um, I think this is kind of like a, yeah, kind of the backstory of how he comes to write Rent, all that. Um, so, so what about this one? Uh, Joe, we'll start with you this time. Same scale, opening weekend, matinee, Rent at Home. Uh, wait till you can... Uh, catch out in streaming service you already pay for or not interested yeah uh, for this one um definitely an opening weekend for me um huge fan of both hamilton and and uh, into the heights i actually really enjoyed into the heights recently mm-hmm. um manuel Miranda, he can do no wrong uh so far he's kind of on a roll yeah um the the cast looks great i mean i love andrew garfield to pieces just about anything he's in except for the spider-man films but even he's not really the issue there in my opinion um <laughs> And also, it's just such an important time in history and also a very important uh, musical kind of hit on the cusp of the right time. Uh, there was a lot of uh, kind of terrific and uh, beautiful minds kind of like dying to the, the AIDS epidemic. Uh, so, so yeah, I kind of want to see like how that kind of like his friends going through this tumultuous time, how that kind of spurred him into kind of giving the creative juices flowing and getting, getting something put to paper that would be really impactful for uh, right. years to come. Cool. What about you, Phil? Uh, yeah, I, I also love uh, Lemon Well. I, I I really didn't know very much about him until I saw Hamilton last year when it came to Disney Plus, and instantly you know sent me down a spiral of just you know tracking down everything he's ever done. Um, and so yeah, as I understand, this is like his directorial debut. Um, 
like for a movie at least i obviously he directed like the stage play of hamilton and um you know i think he, obviously he's done a lot of writing and stuff like that but um so it is this okay so i guess let me answer your question first i yes i definitely want to watch this i'll probably see it not too too long after it comes out on netflix um just because I like I love Lumen well, I actually I, I really like Andrew Garfield as well, and yeah. I, I I do love Rent. Like I've seen Rent on uh like in like big stage productions um like three times I think. Um, so um I don't know how much of this is actually going to be about the writing like the penning of that musical, but um I would love to know like some of the backstory to that musical because for a while there it was like one of my favorite musicals in so. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm for all those reasons. I'm, I'm all in. Very cool. Um, uh, I was going to ask, is, is this a musical? Like there's Andrew does some singing, singing in the trailer, but I don't know. Um, I would say this feels like probably more of a biography, but because it's about writing a musical, there will be like, I don't think it's going to be a musical. And I don't know if there's going to be any original musical numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I'm pretty sure the song he was singing is from rent. Right. Um, I I think so, I, I guess I don't I haven't seen it in a while. Um, it, it's not one of the popular numbers, um, but yeah, I, it might be in the movie I, or in the in the show. I haven't seen it. In, in quite I, a I while, mean, but. I, I haven't I haven't ever seen Rent. Uh, I do plan on seeing it before uh, Tick Tick Boom. Um, yeah. But uh, my wife's been wanting me to get it to watch it a couple of times, and we have both a like live on Broadway version and a uh, and the film adaptation. Um, so I think we'll probably do the Broadway one. Um, so, uh, but I, I'm pretty unfamiliar with it, but I just, if, if it's an original song, you don't typically give away those things in your trailers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I'd be willing it, to it say that's probably a rent, rent. It might even be like a rent one that's just stripped down. Um, you know, just him on the piano instead of like a full, you know, orchestra. I don't know, but, um, I'm really excited about this one. I'll be opening weekend. Andrew Garfield is like one of my favorite actors, uh, especially like, um, you know, working under uh um whatever he's probably 32 or so um so like work you know younger actors i think he's really great in hacksaw ridge Um, i love him as spider-man i think he's my favorite um peter parker joe and i talked about that a little bit um like there's something about tom holland that's really good but something about andrew garfield's that i just really love in that role he's excellent in silence um he's really good in uh the eyes of tammy faye earlier this year um i just i He's excellent in 99 Homes. Um, movie came out from a couple of years ago. It's just, uh, I'll watch pr- most things with him. I didn't see whatever that movie that he did with A24 that came out in March was. Uh, Under the Silver Lake? Was, no, it was a different one. Um, it was like, uh, it was, it, him going crazy Like was, it, mainstream is the one. Yeah, I didn't see it. Um, but I heard that one's just a really weird movie. But A24, you know. Um, so I also love it. Uh, Andrew Garfield. I, I think it's impossible to hate Lin-Manuel at this point. Um, he's, he's great. Uh, he's excellent. Um, it'll be interesting to see cause yeah, this is his directorial debut. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see kind of how that works. Um, but I think you, you had me at Andrew Garfield and Lin-Manuel. <laughs> um, you throw on uh Steven Levinson, who is the writer. Um, he did write the, uh, um stage play book and the screenplay for dear evan hansen which um it's a little unfortunate but because uh, i think everything probably that he changed is is wrong about the book but fossey verdon uh masters of sex um some good some good things to his name uh, i'm sure he's got a lot of like you know broadway stuff that 
has, I, I think he's a recognizable name outside of Phil. Um, so uh, that's that's certainly uh, a pro for me as well. By uh, I, I'm, like I said, something about Andrew Garfield and Lin Manuel and the fact that it's going to be able, like I'm going to be able to catch it on Netflix. Like I'll see this very soon. By the way, I looked it up. The, the song he's singing in the trailer is not not from Rent. Um, so. It's uh, it is a little strange that they put that in the trailer. Um, mm. I, th- I think they maybe want to like make a lot of uh, about the soundtrack for the movie possibly or something, and so they're giving you like a teaser of like you know one of their original songs or whatever. But I don't know if Lin Manuel wrote it or if someone else did. But um, it, the song is called Thirty Ninety, like Thirty Slash Ninety, and it's it's about Jonathan turning thirty in the year nineteen ninety. Um, but um, but yeah, I um. I, I didn't recognize the song, so I, I think it's original for for the film. Um, but um, yeah, yeah I, good I, for I, looking I, that up. Yeah, I, I would love to know more about this guy because the the rent. And, and again, I, I don't even know if the if the movie is about the writing of rent. Like I, I, I'm assuming it is because I think that's one of the only things he ever wrote. But um, it, it should be. I, and obviously, Lin Manuel has a personal attachment to this escapade of Jonathan's. Like you know, Lin Manuel and what. What Jonathan did uh, and what Lin Manuel did with their respective musicals is very similar, and so I think he would have a lot to say about um, just the writing process and be able to kind of highlight some things uh, from this guy who died like you know five years, five or six years, whatever after Rent uh, release. He really didn't even get to see like how much his his musical meant to the world. I mean, obviously, it's very popular when it released, but um, you know it continue to live on way past his death so that's always crazy i mean can you imagine if like yeah i mean like five or six years after in the heights lin-manuel um did hamilton like can you imagine like released hamilton like can you imagine if he like died before getting to show hamilton to the world like that'd be yeah that'd be insane um so i think the the interesting part of this movie for me is is going to be because I, i i have written a few songs you know nothing popular but like um just you know songs i've shared with my friends type of thing and th- it's hard it's it's harder than people think yeah. uh and unless you just have a natural gift for it i guess but um, or unless you're in pop music yeah i mean some <laughs> people make it make it look easy but like uh you know uh it's it's certainly difficult uh to do and i can't even imagine writing like you know, two hours, two and a half hours worth of, of music. The rent is almost all music, just kind of like Hamilton. And so um, it just, it's just a lot of material. And in the trailer, he talks about how he's like, I've been working on this for 10 years and I still can't finish it. Um, and so I, I feel like there's going to be a lot about that. And that's very intriguing to me. So. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Joe, do you have any other thoughts before we move on? Yeah. Uh, I feel, I feel the same. Like I kind of want to see the journey leading up to him, like kind of creating his magnum opus, like his, like, it's like ultimate piece of like art. Um, and the, yeah, the, I like the comparison you made between Lin Manuel as well because like they created both both pieces of art that are very impactful um, to society as a whole. So um, yeah, who better to tell that story than you know, or to help tell that story than uh, Lin Manuel? So really excited. Yeah, should be good. Uh, are either of you guys mu- guys much of like musical people? Uh, I mean, like Phil, you mentioned you like make music, but like, are you interested in movie musicals? Or are you typically like, uh, eh, they're pro- it's probably going to be bad. I-, I watch the ones that are that are highly reviewed and and, and popular. Um, uh, I'll I'll, talk, I'll actually talk about one towards the end of the show. But um, yeah, there's uh, I went to a lot of theater productions when I was younger, and even some like when I first got married, we we would have like season tickets um, to the like the local community theater yeah. um, and and see you know five or six uh, stage shows a year. 
Um, so I do enjoy them. Um, the, the film adaptations of musicals don't always appeal to me. I, I do like seeing it, you know, being there in person to watch, you know, a, a performance that is only for me and the people in the room, you know, like that, mm. that that's the magic of it. Um, you know, seeing a, a film that's, you know, performed exactly the same way every time you watch it isn't as appealing to me. Um, but the ones that, especially the, the ones that I can only experience like Hamilton, I've never had the, the chance to see it on stage. So I, I mean, I'm absolutely going to watch it on, you know, a, a recorded screen. Uh, if that's the only way to get it. Sure. Cool. Uh, what about you, Joe? Are you much of a musical person? Uh, kind of through proxy. Um, my wife is a huge musical fan and uh, <laughs> she went to, went to school for musical theory and, you know, went through Very all cool. that. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm a fan. Um, I think my favorite musical. I mean, it's kind of cliche. My favorite musical is Grease. Kind of grew up watching it. Mm. Um, the, the, uh, the the film um, overall. Um, but yeah, uh, probably not my, my my favorite genre, but definitely not a not opposed to watching any uh, musicals. Yeah, I've I've always liked musical films, uh, but my wife got me into like live productions. Um, because she grew up in a theater family. Um, and I just realized, like, I, I didn't think I'd love them as much as I do, but uh, I really love them. And I, I'm just dying to, like, be able to see them again. You know, like, I did get to see Hamilton. And I love that they made it, you know, recorded from the stage instead. And I, I you know, we watched Come From Away on Apple TV+, Plus, um, which is also really good. And um, uh, it's shot in a, in a similar way. And, um, um, you know, lots of... Uh, uh, like we saw Mean Girls and School of Rock musical ones, and they're both awesome. Mean Girls is really, really excellent. So, um, yeah, I uh, La La Land would be my favorite musical. Um, so absolutely, um, that one. If not, then I don't know. Maybe the Blues Brothers. Do we count the Blues Brothers? Um, <laughs> oh, you can throw it in. There. Yeah, uh, but that's a pretty ha- pretty far like just like, like La La Land is like my sixth favorite movie of all time, and Blues Brothers. So. Um, Huge, huge gap. Baby Driver is like 29, I think, for me. So Baby Driver is a musical. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, let's talk about a couple of uh, movies that we have seen uh, already. Um, not that we're just, you know, talking about, you know, how excited we are to see, but uh, that we have seen. Um, Joe, do you want to start off with Alita Battle Angel or Edge of Tomorrow? Uh, let's go ahead and start off with um, Alita Battle Angel. Cool. Uh, it's a 2019 film. Um, this uh, notably is uh, produced uh, by James Cameron, written by James Cameron, um, as well as a couple other people, uh, based off of a graphic novel series, uh, Gunm. I don't know if I'm supposed to pronounce the M there. G-U-N-N-M. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and directed by Robert Rodriguez, um, starring Christoph Waltz, Rosa Salazar, Jennifer Connelly, Mahershala Ali, Jackie Earl Haley, Ed Skirin, um, <clears throat> uh, Ed Norton, um, Rick Hume, lots of, lots of people in this. Um, and known for its visuals because James Cameron, Robert Rodriguez, um, uh, also notably, um, I guess maybe not notably, uh, it's, uh, um, was notably pushed back like a long time because the extensive work that needed to be done on the visuals. So, uh, synopsis is a deactivated cyborgs revived, but can't remember anything uh, of her past and goes on a quest to find out who she is. It's a pretty simplistic plot, but, uh, I think, you know, for the most part, gets it. Um, so, Joe, we'll start with you. Do you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? Uh, yeah, for for this one in particular, I'm on the really like it too version of uh, loving it. Um, I grew up with the the OVA source material for this, um, and also have been like retreading through the manga. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been, I mean, I've seen this when I was like in 1995 when I was a kid. Um, the anime, the animation, 
Um, it follows a lot of the same beats uh, as the OVA does and like takes some things from the manga. That's good. Uh, kind, of, kind of intertwines them. Um, it's probably the most faithful adaptation I've seen in any anime. And uh, I think they knock it out of the park for the most, for the most part, um, especially with the visuals and the world building um, that they set up. Um, so yeah. Some of the stuff might be seem, seem like it's like cliche at this point, but like uh, the, uh, the creator of this, uh, uh, Yukito uh, Kishiro, I mean, he was doing all this before. It was kind of cool doing a lot of cyberpunk stuff. So, um, yeah, like overall, I just think it's a really kind of terrific adaptation of his work. Cool. What about you, Phil? Um, yeah, I'm right exactly where Joe is. Um, really, really liked, maybe maybe even loved it. Uh, Low Side of Loved It. Um, I, I, this movie was surprised. Actually, honestly, both of the movies that we're talking about were, were both surprising to me, um, how much I loved them, but... Um, yeah, way to spoil your thoughts on this universally <laughs> beloved movie that we'll talk about next. Yeah, um, I you know obviously I was in because of the I, I don't I'm I consider myself like manga adjacent like I you know I've seen like one or maybe two animes in my whole life um, and I yeah two I guess um, but uh, but I, I and then I've not read any manga ever um, I'm into comic books and uh, have read a lot of Marvel and stuff like that but um, you know the Japanese side of, of the comic book world isn't isn't really something I have a lot of experience in but uh, James Cameron um, the CGI uh, the action I, you know I was in and and yet thinking okay I'm not sure that this is going to translate well to like this live action experience and when it, and it, the movie was way bigger the plot was way bigger than i expected it to none of this was a surprise to joe but i i didn't know anything i didn't get the background and watch the trailer but i didn't know you know what the movie was even about and got to the end of the movie and i was just like when are they making a second one like i have to see the sequel right now yeah, yeah. um so yeah i i really really enjoyed them yeah i um I really like this as well. My history with like anime, manga, stuff like that. I've never really been an anime person. Um, uh, just in general, I didn't grow up with it. Um, and I haven't really been around a lot. Um, and I think the only manga I've ever really gotten into, I read like the first like 40 books of bleach, uh, because a friend had them in high school. Um, and I really liked them. Um, but <laughs> that was a like burn through them all really quickly and never touched any anymore <laughs> again. Um, <laughs> Uh, so like that's kind of my whole history. So I had no idea this. I knew it was based off of material. I just um, anything about this particular one. I, I'm probably a little bit lower on this movie than you guys. I would just like firmly say liked it. Maybe leaning towards the lower side of liked it um, because I think there's a lot of mediocrity in this movie. I think there's a lot of wasted time. I think it does incredible world building. Um, I think it ultimately leads up to a villain that winds up being pretty lackluster. Um, I think that the whole the love interest character um you could just completely cut him out of the movie you could definitely hire a better actor you could definitely write him a little bit better um lots of ways uh, but i think there's so much interesting going on in this world i had the same experience walking out of the theater i was just like look i didn't i, I even had the same experience walking out of dune uh well not i didn't walk walk walking out of dune because i watched it on hbo max because i hate <laughs> <Navy and> Lou. <laughs> just kidding uh, i love him um, but he thinks I hate him because I watched Dune on HBO Max. Uh, but I, I kind of had the same experience where I was like, look, that, that certainly could have been a better movie. That certainly could have been an interesting movie, but gosh, am I excited for part two. Um, almost just replicate my feelings for Alita. Like that certainly could have been more interesting. Um, it felt like it was trying to tell way too much story. Um, tried to, like it was yeah. trying to tell, like trying to cover way too much ground. 
Um, and so it, it always felt either completely unnecessary or completely rushed. Um, and, and then you even throw in things like the sport that they play. I don't know what they call it. Um, and that's oh, really, motorball. yeah, the what motorball motorball, like, which is completely unnecessary to the plot, but gosh, I would love just if the Alita sequel was nothing but rollerball. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I, like, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I love rollerball. I think, I, th- I think this is a really great like introduction um, that doesn't necessarily make it a great film, which is exactly my thoughts on Dune. Um, you know, great intro makes me really excited through the future, but um, I'm not really excited to see Dune Part 1 again. Um, I'd easily <laughs> watch Alita because it has a lot more entertainment value too as well. Um, and look, maybe we got to start off talking about Dune by talking about the visuals. With as much as this movie was pushed back, I was surprised at how well everything looks. I mean, we sh- we should have thought, you know, that James Cameron was behind it. And so like, it was going to be great, but like, it was pushed back for like years because they were trying to nail it in post-production. It was just like, I, and and then they pushed it to February. Like February is a, especially back in 2019, like for that February was a, it was a dump month. Like nobody, <laughs> nobody was releasing good stuff in February. Um, so I, I, leading up to this, it was just like, look, I'm cautiously optimistic, but like, I really enjoy it. Um, the visuals are incredible. I've never seen anything like them. Yeah, I think it also helped that um, they kind of put the cart before the horse with having Avatar come out first. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was always kind of like what they wanted to do. They wanted to make sure the tech was there in order to create Alita herself as far as the motion capture goes. Because um, for some people, they kind of get the Uncanny Valley when they look at her. But if you've read the source material, if you've even dabbled in it a little bit, you see like, okay, I know what they were going for. She's not human, so it totally makes sense that she has these exaggerated features. Um, she's like a special Martian uh, kind of um, cyborg, so it totally makes sense the way she looks. Um, but yeah, this movie got pushed back even further than that. I mean, this this is a project that he wanted to do, passion project he wanted to do for like the past 10 years. Right. And was just waiting for the tech to kind of catch up. It was never quite the right moment. Um, funny funny story is that Gilbert Toro was the one to kind of push the source material on him. He's like, hey, you would like this. Like, check this out. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really liked all the action uh, in the movie. Um, I was going. I go, went back and at least watched the trailer before we started, just to kind of remind me of, um, of just kind of the viciousness of, of some of the the violence and you know how it's very hard hitting. Like the uh, the audio is is fantastic. I like watching the trailer before seeing the movie. I thought her eyes looked really weird. Like yeah. I, it just, it didn't look, it, it looked, it's obviously on purpose. Like he's going for that look, but it, it has kind of the scent of what CGI used to look like when they couldn't quite get like eyes to look right and stuff like that. But obviously, you know, he's doing it for real, but, um, but man, once I got into the world and like, I'm a sucker for cyberpunk and sci-fi type stuff anyways, but when you get, give me like this world that I'm, like is just completely unknown to me. And I just want to like, you know, I was just salivating. Like I want to know more about like everything that's going on, all the different factions and um, you know, how everyone's fighting over various things. Like I was, I was totally into it. I do agree with you about that. It's, it tries to pack in a little bit too much. Um, I think uh, Joe and, and others that were familiar with the source material, it probably wasn't overwhelming. Um, but uh, me, and you obviously Aaron going into this with fresh eyes, like it, it definitely, I was like having trouble. Like, I had to like go back and rewatch a couple scenes. and like, okay, now I, I think I understand what they're doing here, but like um, it, it, they tried to pack in a lot of stuff. And, and, uh, and yet at the end of the movie, like 
I was like, there's so much more story to tell. Like, I, I don't know. I was reading up on the, uh, the director of the movie and how like he really wants to make a sequel, but like the Disney Fox acquisition kind of went down like all in the middle, in the midst of, of this movie being released. And so like, there was no promises made like from Disney, but then I think even this year they were like kind of on the table is like, he, cause he's directing several episodes of uh, book of Boba Fett coming out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so like kind of the like unspoken agreement is like, we'll see how book of Boba Fett goes. And if it goes really well, then maybe we'll give you another chance to uh, direct a sequel uh, well, to Alita. But I mean, it's, he also did the one of the, the episode where you introduced a Boba Fett in season two of the Mandalorian. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, the one where um, <laughs> at the end where Grogu gets captured. Um, okay. Where they're at the Jedi temple, the old Jedi. Temple. Oh yeah. He, he direct, that's a great episode. He, it's an amazing episode. And he directed it. And honestly, the behind the scenes footage for that episode are the most fun you'll, you'll see. Yeah. Like Robert Rodriguez is like playing a guitar. Um, like, and you know, two baby Yoda's. It's adorable. <laughs> um, I love Robert Rodriguez. We were talking about this last week on the show. I, I really love, um, um, or I really like From Dust Till Dawn. Um, I really like Sin City. Um, like it, the dude just kind of doesn't miss. I don't think I've seen a film of mm. his that I really don't like. I mean, sure, he's got those later Spy Kids movies, but like um, you, you can at least tell he's he's having fun making them. But um, The Faculty, I think, is a really really good like late nineties horror film. Um, uh, you know the the thing really good too. <laughs> uh, Desperado great, you, you know, and that's yeah. part of the uh, the El, Ma- El Mariachi trilogy because El Ma- Mariachi is great. And Once Upon a Time in Mexico is ridiculous but great. Um, I love Planet Terror. <laughs> it's 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 his probably most watchable film for me. Um, I really like Robert Rodriguez, um, and I I love that he's got another thing to be excited about. Um, I I just think the problem is that this movie costs so much money to make. Yeah. Um, especially like with all the pushbacks, like I I just think that they were, um, you know, wanting a profit, and I it didn't quite get what they wanted because they released it in February. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I I think it just I I hope that part of the like Robert Rodriguez doing some Mandalorian Book of Boba Fett stuff is maybe like him like earning his way to a sequel um i wouldn't be surprised at all kind of like how let's talk about you we mentioned the artemis fowl movie earlier um you know it almost feels like um like kenneth branagh was like almost dumped that so he could <laughs> like hey uh you want to do this cinderella movie well we'll let you do the cinderella movie if you do artemis fowl for us or <laughs> this this you know i hope it is kind of one of those situations um i think that would be uh i want a sequel i really really, really do um but i just i know that uh that twitter really pushes for a sequel um not probably just as aggressively as the the snyder fans out there were pushing for um the zack snyder's justice league so Uh, far less obnoxious though (laughs) but but just as passionate yeah they're passionate Um, for sure uh the budget look apparently was between 175 million and 200 million um and i just don't think it did that well in the box office but that's also not including marketing um and just you, you imagine that like returning to this, uh, to this world, like it's going to be another $200 million. And honestly, I don't know why we have budget conversations with Disney, like, especially with films that are like <laughs> at least critically beloved, right? Like Avengers Endgame made $3 million. Like, how do we not just, just how at least like, at least for products that people like, like, how does Disney not just be like, sure, have another one. Um, you know, and maybe this time it'll make more money because you know if they ever release an Alita two, like that Alita army that they call themselves on Twitter, 
are going to fund a third movie just by themselves. Well, especially if it releases in the summer, I, I think it could be a, a huge blockbuster film in the summer. Yeah. Um, the, it made money. Like it, it didn't make a lot of money. Um, the problem was, is it, they spent MCU budget, but didn't get MCU box office. Mm, um, right. And so, you know, if they, if Disney feels like they could do something even close to that um, kind of ratio, um, I could, I could definitely see them green light. It. So we'll see. I've got my fingers crossed. Yeah, so $170 million budget according to Box Office Mojo, but that also doesn't include marketing. Um, and worldwide, it only took in $400 million. I think it was... I think they were hoping to get closer to that like $500, mark. Yeah. Yeah, so, it did far better internationally. And it's understandable because yeah. it, it's, it's ripe for that market. Yeah. Um, I, just, I, don't, I just don't know, like... Uh, probably with those numbers, they probably broke right about even. They probably didn't make money off of it. Um, you got to imagine, and, and like, it's a little bit like a more mature film, so they probably didn't make a ton on toys. Um, I don't know how well the, uh, the home release went, but I don't know how much that has a sway in stuff anymore. You know, it used to be if a movie did bad in theaters, but everybody bought the DVD, you know, you could still get one. I just, I don't think physical media or Netflix streams or anything like that has, has much sway over what happens. I think it's kind of box office or Disney plus premiere access or nothing. Um, you know. Uh, I don't, I don't think they care about any other numbers. So um, yeah, I, um, th- there's really a lot to love about this. Uh, what are some other things? Yeah. And, and as far as like uh, got toys and the kind of figures or whatnot, a lot of them were like kind of high end figures, you know, they're going to cost you two to $600. Yeah. They're more for the adult audience. I mean, the whole, the property itself is more adult oriented. There's actually far more violent than it is in the movie. Um, even though they do push up PG 13 envelope pretty impressively. Like, I didn't. Uh, I didn't expect to see uh, his friend get bisected like he does in the uh, in the manga and anime. So that was pretty surprising. Um, it's but, almost uh, surprising that this got a PG thirteen release, but I do feel like this this probably should have just gone in for it and made it R. You know, you don't need to make it super gory and graphic, but you know, you make it true to the source material. You you know, some of those cutaway moments you just show. But yeah, really kind of surprised this is still PG thirteen. I think they're just trying to put more butts in seats. Um, yeah. And I don't know if this was the property to do that with. If you're just going to go in, just go all in. Um, yeah, but if you spend that much money, you gotta got to get some back. Um, yeah, it's definitely not like a Deadpool budget where you can kind of cut corners a little bit. Yeah, and still yeah. Make a big, a huge return. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I love Rodriguez <laughs> directing this film. Uh, I think he does a terrific job. Um, he said he wanted to make a Cameron movie, and I think he accomplished that. Like, it does feel like a Cameron movie. Yeah. Um, Everyone's ever said he's a really good collaborator uh, for like Sin City and whatnot. Uh, yeah, yeah. One of my favorite stories about him is that um, so, so, something happened with From Dust Till Dawn or something. So or um, something happened where Quentin Tarantino paid him a dollar to um, to help him out with something, and in return he paid Quentin Tarantino a dollar to um, <laughs> to direct part of Sin City. Just hmm. like. Yeah, he seems like a really nice collaborator. There's a reason people come back to him. There's a reason, you know, like we talked about last week on the Spy Kids, like Clooney's willing to come in and do a cameo, you know? <laughs> like, um, you know, there's a reason that, like, Favreau brought him in for The Mandalorian scene, like, which honestly, like, was a really shocking, like, like oh, that Robert Rodriguez is usually, like, over-the-top, violent, like, comically, uh, all that stuff. And, yeah, that's one of the better season two episodes for sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, is, is he showrunning Book of Boba Fett? Or is he just like directing most of the episodes? I, from what I read, he, he was just they've they've only, only said he's directing several episodes. Um, I don't know. He may be in charge of the whole thing. I, I don't know how much Favreau's 
evolved or or what but you got to think favreau's like okay um so book of boba fett is also being ran by favreau my guess is that whole you know ahsoka all uh, included will be show ran by favreau um but you know he's gonna hand off directing and a lot of writing responsibilities to his writer's room and to directors that he likes and favreau just seems like one of the most likable people ever oh yeah <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, so not sure running, but yeah, this uh, yeah, he'll he'll get several episodes. Um yeah, I, I think uh I think there's really a lot to love about this movie. Like I said, I just I also feel like the the uh, I gotta look up this character's name, but the 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 boyfriend or the guy that's trying to become the boyfriend. Uh, uh Hugo. Yeah. Uh Hugo. He's um I don't really think the actor's doing anything good um or great or anything like that. And I and I just I don't care for that character at all. Uh, is it is it different in the in the manga? Is it uh, like Joe? Is it is it is he kind of just a one no throwaway character? I, look, I'm pretty sure he comes back after the story. Like, because well, first of all, we don't see him die in the movie, but I'm pretty sure I heard somewhere that like he winds up like being turned into a half cyborg and does. Uh, I think I think we're not done with this character um, from what I remember. But it, does he have more to do? Does he feel more like a real person? Um, is he, you know, less of a drag in the in the comics or in the manga? <laughs> I actually feel like in the film he has a little bit more dimension. He's a little more likable. Um, he actually has kind of more of a uh, more of a face turn, um, if you want to say. Uh, okay. There are there are times where he does he'll do some shady things in in, in both interpretations. But I kind of I feel like he comes off a little more cold um, okay. in the manga or the anime. But he well, um, he also has like this backstory in the manga where the reason why he wants to go to Zalom is because his uh, his brother was, that was his dream to build an airship and go to Zalem. And mm. his brother was turned in by his um, sister-in-law and was, uh, was murdered. So that's basically like, he kind of like inherits his dream from his brother. Okay. Uh, well, it's, it's this weird thing because they really try to make him like the most human, human character there is him and the Christoph Waltz character. Everybody else is, they, they really try to hit home that message that it seems like everything that deals with artificial intelligence deals with, which is that these things are more human than humans. Um, so they really try to up his humanity in there and it just feels disingenuous. Um, and it also just feels like he, he might be more human than some of these other people, but he's still a cardboard cutout, you know, <laughs> like, and that's partly his acting, partly the screenplay for this case, this guy's character. Just maybe he had some other scenes that wound up getting cut, which this movie feels like it's a two hour and 45 minute movie. It's two hours and two minutes. Like, you know, Phil and I, we were both talking about, like, how this movie packs way too much in. Like, it feels significantly longer. And that's not always a bad thing, especially when you're doing as much world building as you are here. I think it's fine if you want to have a movie that feels a little bit longer, as long as it's not actually. Um, you know, you can take a little bit slower slower of a pace. But, like, that's shocking, um, that that time frame. So, um, I, I just, I, like, I, I don't know. I feel like they're trying to make him the most human. Him and Christoph Waltz, the only, like human human characters but it's just like christoph waltz is doing that but i also feel like christoph waltz could be doing better things like thinking back on his career like coming into american cinema with inglorious bastards and not too long after that doing Django unchained and then he's just been like shoehorned into roles like this where it's just like you've got a really great actor to do pretty mediocre work <laughs> um you know with this and uh like blowfeld inspector you know it's just the green hornet you know <laughs> um yeah, he's he's fine. He's just not given much to do. You don't hire an actor like Christoph Waltz for for what's going on in this. So you don't hire somebody the caliber of Mahershala Ali to play this deadpan, forgettable villain, you know. But they did. So am I alone on those thoughts? Like, do you guys think uh, 
like that the villain's more memorable or the Christoph Waltz character like has a little bit more to work with. I, I found myself just thinking more about just kind of the world and, and the story and what character mo- motivations were and stuff like that. Um, but again, I, I'm not as critical as, as I think both of you guys probably are as far as, you know, the right actor for the job or, um, you know, is the, you know, the villain compelling or whatever. Um, I just, I, I ended up, I, I guess I'm a little bit more shallow <laughs> in that way, but like, I just, I was having so much fun watching what was going on and watching Alita kind of ascend to this like powerful warrior, you know, in, in this cyberpunk universe that, um, you know, I was, I was fine with everything else, but um, yeah. I, Joe, Joe, what do you, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, we don't, we don't need, you know, uh, Walt as Ito and we don't need Mahershala Lee as, um, as Vector, but I think they're really good in the roles. And I think they bring a little bit more gravitas to those roles. Um, I especially like, the choice for Ido. Uh, I do okay. think they have a lot of great interactions with one another. And I think they're at, like him acting opposite of Rosa Salazar in a lot of those scenes are really emotionally um, impactful. And I think pack a little bit more of a punch um, than they previously did in the, in the source material, especially the manga, the manga, their relationship is it's loving, but it's still a little cold. It's a little coarse. Um, but, but overall, I, I think Christopher Waltz brings something to it, especially like him having a daughter previously and having her named Alita where, in the manga, Alita was a cat that he owned, even though that's still great. You know, that's not a daughter uh, yeah. type of relationship. So um, I, th- I thought their their scenes together were really good and kind of more of the heart and kind of core of the of the of the story. Uh, but yeah, but as, as far as Vector goes, uh, he's probably doing more than actually what they did in the manga. Uh, I kind of feel sorry for Vector because at the end of the day, he is just a puppet. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and they really wrote the character like that. I thought it was quite intentional, but. Uh, but I can I can see your point where he's just kind of like he's not the true villain, and even the story is like Nova's the real villain, and we he's more of a Palpatine. Yeah, he, the, you know Nova's the Palpatine to you know uh, to this like Sith Lord type of like character, you know. Yeah, it's it, it's like he's ve- the Vector character is really a puppet, uh, but you even have like even he's pulling some strings, but like Marshall Ali feels like a puppet. You know, he feels like somebody who's just told go do this, but then you have like the the two main uh Zapan and Gruishka who are just over the top it's just like it's, it's an interesting like you go one end of the spectrum or the other there's not really any middle ground um you know Gruishka's not even in the movie for very long um so uh, awesome death scene by the way that's my favorite <laughs> scene in the in the film probably or my, maybe my favorite moment is when she just oh she pulverizes him it's awesome <laughs> just badass every time especially that like probably the most well-placed f-bomb i've seen in any film like every time i watch the movie it's always impactful every time she she says it and like because like as a viewer you're watching you're like awesome like (laughs) this guy's getting his comeuppance like kurwishka is like the most loathed character and probably uh at least in that arc of the anime and the manga yep Yeah, it just, like I said, it just feels like this movie's trying to establish systems and all that. And I think it would pay off in the long run. Um, I think an Alita 2 would be awesome and would would really, kind, kind of Alita Battle Angel would, ro- would walk so this one can run. Same with Dune. Dune Part would walk so Dune Part 2 can run. Um, I just, uh, yeah, it's just if we never get that sequel, this will probably be like a, like, above average, um, you know, movie for me. Not a, not a, like... I, I so desperately want a sequel because I because I won't I don't want this film to go down in mediocrity. Um, but if there is no sequel, it just kind of will. People will forget about it, and uh, I don't think that's fair to uh, to the work that Rodriguez and Cameron put into this. 
So and Rosa Salazar's great. She's uh she's one of the best parts. She's perfect cast. So she deserves better as well. Um, that's all I have. Uh, do you guys have other things you want to say before we move on? All right. Uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Um, so the kind of two ties that we made for these films, these are both based off of manga. Um, Alita Battle Angel, I was, you know, reference to is uh, G-U-N-N-M. Um, also, I think the, the actual manga is called um, Battle Angel Alita. I think it's just mm-hmm. the same things, but are reorganized, or at least one of the books is called that or something. I don't know. So uh, Edge of Tomorrow, based off of All You Need Is Kill, um, the American translation. Um, and then, weirdest, weirdest translation ever. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. that's. I'm sure that is literally what it how it reads in in the original Japanese. But well, um, here's this film's history with the titles: is when they announced it, it was All You Need Is Kill because they wanted people to be like, "Oh, sweet, they're adapting that." Yeah. And then they changed it to Edge of Tomorrow and released it like that. And then when they released the Blu-ray, they took the tagline, which was "Live, Die, Repeat," and decided yeah. to make that just as prominent as the title. And now to the point that we are getting a sequel for Edge of Tomorrow. It's already been announced, but it's going to be called Live, Die, Repeat 2. And it's just like, this is the worst marketing campaign for a movie ever. Um, and the least consistent marketing campaign for a movie ever. I, I think Edge of Tomorrow is the best um, title for all of, for all three of those options. Uh, of the three, they, yeah, that's the best one they, they should have stuck with. I, I still think Edge of Tomorrow is a little... I, ultimately, why they changed it, it had to have been just because the title is very nebulous. Like, it, yeah, it's it's it could, that movie could, could be about anything. Um, but um, well, and the, it's I, that it's pretty basic. Is, if you're trying to remember this title, you're not necessarily going to. You're going to put in, oh, I think it's Edge, and there's a million Edge of blank movies. You know, yeah. I mean, the title, the movie title, "Live I Repeat," is very on the nose. <laughs> like they went in the opposite direction and told you exactly what the movie's about with the title. But it's such a, it's such a dumb title. Like I would probably I would probably take "All You Need Is Kill" over <laughs> "Live I Repeat." It's yeah, it's, me too. Uh, that would be the ranking obvious. is Edge of Tomorrow, All You Need is Kill, <laughs> Live, Die, Repeat. Joe, Joe, what are your thoughts on the film's title? <laughs> I, I actually prefer the Live, Die, Repeat because it has like that very on-the-nose nature to it. Okay. Because yeah. like the movie overall feels like a roguelike game anyways. Like it's like a video game. You get to a safe state and then you come back and you have more experience. Like you have more XP and uh, yeah. you're, you know, you're kind of running through this, this scenario again. Uh, yeah, this so. is like the the opposite premise of Alita. Like she she doesn't remember anything about her past, and then this is and, <laughs> yeah. and this one he remembers everything. <laughs> That's a great connection. Yeah, yeah man, Phil's finding all the fun connections. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a uh, directed by Doug Lyman, a uh, written I think the head writer is Christopher McQuarrie, but several other people working on this one, starring uh, Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt, the the late great Bill Paxton, um, Brennan mm-hmm. Gleeson. Um, um, I guess that's really the the most notable, but still, that's a really solid top four. Um, you know, four A listers there. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, uh, I obviously love this movie. This is my hundred and tenth favorite movie of all time. Just barely makes my favorite of all time list. A really high side. I love this one. Um, this is a great film that has very little wrong with it. Uh, Phil, you kind of revealed that you also are somewhere in the love to camp. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Love, um, probably just right down the middle of love it. Um, I, this was, and I almost never do this, but this was a movie that I saw and then immediately had to re- see again with my wife. Like I was like, I was like, I, I know this isn't your genre. I know that like, forget what you've, what you've seen in the trailers. You have to see this movie. And yeah. um, went to go see it a second time with her um, probably within a week or two after watching it. Nice. So. Where do you land Joe? Oh uh, yeah. The high side of love it. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I have any like 
cons like i have like one and it's very nitpicky but um, sure. i think the storytelling is really great i think it runs at a relatively like fast pace mm-hmm. um i i love how they kind of give tom cruise's character kind of more to go off of i kind of like the fact that he's kind of like a cowardly major mm-hmm. who's like been peddling like these tech suits even though he's they don't really the quite work that well <laughs> he's kind of the antithesis of tom cruise as we come to know him yeah know? he's like a cowardly dude that kind of like has his character arc where he becomes a hero yeah 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 Except better than The Mummy, because that movie is abysmal. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I kind of like how he's like he's kind of a snake oil salesman, because like these suits really don't work that well. The reason why they're so impressive is because Rita's just so good at what she does, because yeah. she's been through this hundreds of times. Um, also, like this is like what made me fall in love with, uh, with her, in, uh, Emily Blunt in general. Uh, I think she's really fantastic in the role, really well cast as Rita Vertowski. Um, and the way they play off of each other is great. Um, this is film. what solidified my love for Emily Blunt because um, Looper started that. Because um, Looper came out two years before this. And I was just like, oh, wow, who is that? She's terrific. Um, but uh, when she came and did Edge of Tomorrow as well. Um, and there's probably a couple other things thrown in there. Uh, this was yeah. for sure the moment that I realized that Emily Blunt is uh, um, like, uh, oh, there was um, the Adjustment Bureau was... Um, 2011 so before looper one year before looper it was like oh so that was that girl from adjustment bureau and then edge of tomorrow two years later so it's like all right and then we get sicario and um the quiet place and she's she's just a delight uh this was also the movie that made me like realize tom cruise is a legitimate action star outside of the mission impossible franchise um this is the one that really made me see him and i think he gets a lot more acting to do in this movie than he does in the mission impossible franchise at least up until this point um because the ghost rogue nation was coming out the year after this um because mccory you know that mccory tom cruise tom cruise connection um <laughs> So, um, yeah, this, so lots of, lots of things really solidifying this too. Um, so also now I'm thinking about it for our B plot, we probably could have done, you know, best ever, uh, time loop movies. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, Alita doesn't fit into that, but you know, like it just seems like we're getting a lot of them. Like there was, the, what was that one with Frank Grillo that came out earlier this year that I didn't see that is just like him in a video game. That's, Oh, um, um I know they talked about it on stiff pop. Uh, it's on Hulu. It's like hard target or something like that. I don't know. Um, uh, boss, boss level. <laughs> boss level. There you go. Um, yeah. Some some pretty generic action. You know, probably belongs in the '90s title. But you got like Palm Springs, and there's obviously Groundhog Day, Source Code. Lots of really great uh, time loop movies. I think we did a best ever challenge for that when Boss Level came out, like for the website. Uh, that sounds familiar um, because I think we had a lot of fun thinking, "What are time loop movies?" Anyway, uh, yeah, Emily Blunt, Tom Cruise, really excellent. A lot of like really good chemistry. Uh, especially because Emily's kind of a no nonsense, you know, no bullshit taker kind of person. Um, she's she's goals. Um. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. What else? I, I mean, I, I can speak a little, little more now that we're actually getting into the movie. But um, I remember watching the trailers for this one, and I, I, I'm a huge. I mean, like uh, probably a lot of uh, Americans, but a huge Tom Cruise fan. So uh, you know, just no, knowing that he was in an action film i'm obviously you know sitting up in my seat but then like as i'm watching the trailer i'm like is this starship troopers like are we getting like like another starship troopers movie here um and i was just like i don't know like i because i you know starship troopers i I think has kind of like a cult following but it's not like nobody nobody thinks of that movie as like you know brilliant writing or anything like that and so i i was just like um 
I don't know. Like I, I may see this. I may not. And then I think it was like I have a friend or something like that had told me kind of like the basis of um, again, cause it's not apparent in the trailer or in the title edge of tomorrow um, kind of what's going on. And he's like, no, it's like this looping thing. And you know, he, he dies, he dies and he wakes right back up again. And it's, he's real, you know, it's basically ground. I think he said groundhog day meets, you know, uh, starship or whatever. And um, I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And you know, went to go see it. And I was, I, I mean, I was completely blown up. Like talk about, there are a lot of movies like this, but um, talk about like going in with one expectation and then walking out and be like, I had no idea what I was going into <laughs> until, until I actually saw that film. Um, so yeah, that's, that, that's just kind of, I, I'm finishing off a thought that I had you know, 20 minutes ago, but that, that, that was even more, I would say even more so than Alita. Like I, I just came away just, completely blown away by what what they had accomplished with yeah me too because i like i knew kind of what i was getting into good action all that what i wasn't expecting was how smart this movie is yeah um despite its title uh uh, like it's really clever a lot i think a lot of the like um the time travel physics or science like i think it it's consistent um and it kind of plays by its own rules i i think i think that's certainly uh, something um, I, I do have a, a, a couple negatives, but I, I think that this is great. I'll, but I, I want to uh, before I pass the torch on to somebody else, I uh, I want to make an uh, amendment to something I said earlier. The title for the sequel uh, for Edge of Tomorrow is "Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat." So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I like better than "Live, Die, Repeat." Um, so there's that. Um, Doug Lyman's doing some great work here. Um, what an interesting career this guy's had. Um, cause he started off doing, uh, Swingers, um, which is a, a great movie. It's just the guy that did Edge of Tomorrow did Swingers. Um, <laughs> and then after Swingers, he did Go, which is a really, really good, like indie. Well, it's not really indie. It's just not a high budget, um, movie. That's really good. Uh, and then the Born Identity uh, and then like his follow-up to that is Mr. And Mrs. Smith and he, his career, Mr. And Mrs. Smith and Jumper, it kind of takes a, takes a dive off, but then he does enter tomorrow, but then he like does chaos walking and locked down. Both came out this year and both of those have terrible reviews. He did American made, um, that other Tom Cruise one that I think people liked, but I don't think I've heard anybody reference since 2018. Um, it's, it's pretty solid. Okay. It's pretty good. I, yeah. It didn't really interest me when it came out, but uh, yeah, what an interesting career this guy's had, but He's still he's still a good guy in my book. It almost just makes you wonder, like, why don't they just let Macquarie do do the sequel since since he <laughs> wrote uh, Edge of Tomorrow and already has such a history with Tom Cruise, you know? Um, <laughs> um, let's dive into let's dive into the negative. Joe, you said you have one big negative. What is that? Uh, yeah, I think throughout that throughout the movie, it's really consistent of how like injuries work and how like the physics are pretty realistic as far as people dying and taking injury. Then when they get to the Louvre. I mean, he's being, like, dragged through the water by, like, a single arm. They slam into the Louvre, and, like, they're just fine. They're just they're completely <laughs> fine. And I was like, I don't buy that. I was like, I'm buying everything you're selling, but this is, like, the only part where I'm like, all right, I got to I gotta call I gotta call something on this. So that was the only part <laughs> yeah. that I really had any really big problems with. Yeah, I think, uh, think kind of similarly, um, I think this movie is excellent, like, really beyond excellent. Um leading up to just past the farmhouse uh, arc um, where, you know, he keeps on being like, we can't, we never make it out of here. He's like, I make it out of here, but you never do. So I always reset the day, you know, he's and like up until that point, I think this movie is just incredible. Not a thing to complain about um, really. Uh, 
um, really something special. And then it just kind of like loses a lot of its momentum. And when, when you have a movie like this and then you take away the one thing that's kind of like your, your trump card, your, you know, he always resets all that. Uh, when you, when you take that away, the movie should be more suspenseful. Like, Oh, this is the last one, but kind of loses all of its suspense. And you, when he's very immediately killed all the time, you're right. They kind of drag him out. They, they, they at least try to science their way out of it. They're like, it's in your blood and they're trying to drain you of your blood. Like, that's why they're trying to do it because, uh, you know, they're not just trying to be like, Oh, like for cinematic purposes, you know, he should actually suffer this time before he dies. Um, <laughs> You know, um, and uh, and they replace like it just feels like the tension should ramp up, and it just doesn't. Um, so I, I I definitely did feel some tension when he when he had that transfusion, and 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 he realizes it at the same time that the audience realizes that like he that's it, like his superpower yeah. is done. Like I I definitely you know, and I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying like for like that first five five or ten minutes, I was just like. Oh no! Like this is it. Like he, right. he has one. He has one shot of this to get it right. You know. Well, it so. it's it starts with having some of that tension, but the whole movie kind of slows yeah. down as it gets to actually doing things. No, I agree. As it should. He's got to be a little bit more cautious now. Yeah. Um, but the whole like last very last act of this movie, um, and then he even doesn't he like spawn back in time once more, like at the after they defeat the or or do yeah, they he, psych you out? Uh, he does at the end. He actually. Get, I don't know if we're trying to examine this is if he chose to go back to that exact point himself because he had um, absorbed the, I think it's the Omega, right? Absorbed the Omega's yes, abilities. That's what they call So it. he's able to kind of like, he has the like ultimate power. It's even far beyond the, what he had yeah. with the, with the alpha. Okay. So I think it, you know, like he was able to push himself further to him on a chopper. Okay. Um, so, so that finally clicked that. with me. Like I've, I've never pieced that together because it's, it's, and I don't think that's my fault. I think there's a lot of people that are confused. So he absorbed a higher power of time ability. That's what that's that's the way I take it. I don't read anything okay. on it or anything. No, I'd probably buy. It. I'd buy into that for sure. Um, but re- remind me, he spawns back, and but like the there is no war anymore, right? Like he spawns back. He spawns he, back on the chopper, and they're still going to go to Normandy. But he has all the prior knowledge that he that he has, and they don't. And the enemy, the mimics, don't have any of the abilities that they had. So literally, they're at the greatest advantage possible to okay. win the war. Yeah, you can tell I didn't get a chance to rewatch this one uh, before. It's been probably a year since I've seen it. Um, yeah, so I, I'm quite—I can't quite remember the ending, but like, there's a reason for that. The ending of this film is by far the most non-memorable part of this um, because when the first hour and a half are excellent, and again, an hour and fifty-three minute movie that kind of feels like two and a half hours, but the best two and a half hours you've ever had, best experience you've ever had in a theater. Um, you know, it just, just kind of goes to show like so great. And then kind of loses a little bit momentum. Uh, I'm still high side. I love this. I think this is a really excellent film. It's just, it just loses a bit of steam at the end. And I don't know if they're trying to sequel bait. It feels almost like a sequel at this point is, is too late, but I think this movie has enough love. I'll, I'll be there opening weekend just because of how good this first one is. So. Yeah, there's so there's two things I really like about the movie. One is um, just how impossible the war feels. Like for, from scene yeah. one, like I mean, it's it, it's it feels like V Day. Like we're like we're just we're just going to the slaughter. Like there, very few of us are going to survive this. If if anyone's going to survive, and of course, like you know, he lands and like almost instantly like almost this entire squad is just completely decimated like it's it's not even close like uh you've seen other movies you know like this 
you know, like a Terminator t- type of movie, or whatever. But it's like there's no contest. Like we have we have absolutely nothing that's going to help us win this war. Like it's 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 a uphill battle. So I like that part of it. Well, and, and, and kind then, of yeah, uh, I'll make this quick, but like kind of on that note, but like you even look at something like Aliens, and I mean they feel confident that they can beat the aliens. I mean they can't, obviously. Mm. Um, you know, the movie tries to say that they can, but let's be honest now. Um, <laughs> the the xenomorph is way more sophisticated than um but like you're right it's it's there's not even like a confidence or a courage like they can do it you know like aliens has like they're not like let's go get this i mean sure (laughs) they talk that way but like you know as soon as they hit the ground it's like like nobody is thinking that they're getting out of there alive yeah they they have like all this technology and of course ammunition you know (laughs) more than anyone has ever held in their lives like you know but it doesn't matter like it's they they are completely outclassed um yeah the entire movie really um and so um yeah when, when the enemy can kill you in a half a second it's like what are you going to do um so i i love that part of it not not every uh movie really makes you feel that like that hopelessness and mm-hmm. i thought they did a really really good job with this one and then the other thing that i love and, and a lot of movies do this but um this one's unique i think in the in the sense that you know because of the the loop, the loop nature of it but um you really get to see tom cruise go from like you said earlier just um, a complete nothing, nobody like he, th- <laughs> this guy is not going to help win any war. <laughs> like he's not a combat anything and how like he goes through a lot of training and like to see his change from the very beginning of the movie to like the confidence and the, like the, he's like the action hero <laughs> action star at the end of the movie. Like it's, it's really cool to see how much he evolves over the course of the film. So yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, since, you know, since we're kind of on the nature of time loop movies, this is really half related, but, um, I, the next time loop movie I want to see, um, also we'll throw in Russian doll with time loop stuff. That's really great. That's an incredible thing. A happy death day to you is one of my favorites. Um, yeah, really love that one. Um, first one's good too. Uh, but while we're talking about those, I want to, I the next time loop movie I want to see is, I want to see it entirely, like an entirely from somebody else's perspective. Like I want groundhog's day from the females care like point of view like and, and i want it to be like one run you know i want it to be like like emily blunt's character on one one of the one of these runs um you know the the, the last run you know um i think that'd be so interesting and palm springs kind of gives us that because andy sandberg's character has been in the loop for like 900 um times um, it's just Kristen meliotti's first time but it's like i but it's still from andy sandberg's perspective i want give me um you know, give me happy death day to you from, um, the boyfriend's point of view, you know, like, I think that would be really cool. Um, that's like the one Avenue that I don't think anywhere has taken yet, at least like really committing to, we're going to give this from an outsider's perspective. Um, you know, um, I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I'm a lot of a thoughts. Uh, this is a really excellent movie. Yeah. I think, um, also something that could have been completely cliche, but it's so effectively used, uh, used is, uh, their their use of montage like i don't know if there's any other way they could have done this properly without using montages because mm-hmm. uh, such a such a good cutaway uh, techniques especially the montage where him and Vertowski they're kind of like on the top of their game and they're kind of going they're going through the motions and kind of going through their plans and there's one particular segment where they're literally running circles around his his former squad and they're yeah. like isn't that the new guy and they're like what's his name i don't know <laughs> And they literally like running around that pit, just shooting mimics and like punching them. And like, they're just completely in sync because they've been through this, you know, I don't know, maybe even a couple hundred times at this point. 
just those aspects of it. Uh, those are the things that you're talking about where that really give it that push, that momentum for that first hour and a half that like you kind of well, wish and, the third act was a little cleaner uh, than the first two thirds. Well, and the other thing is um, you, you mentioned use of montage. Um, the There's a really great montage uh, of them in the training camp where like 20, 30 times in a row, Emily Blunt shoots Tom Cruise because he like breaks a leg in the training program. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I feel like that is both refreshing for the movie because we start off in this really massive battle. Um, and then, you know, and we, we got to go back there. And so, but we have to like, we have to, um, believe that he would become a good soldier. And so the way you do that is you just come and train and train and train and train and train. And you're going to get shot by Emily Blunt at the end of every day. Um, <laughs> you know, like, uh, but you still go back and you do it again. So like, it's believable and it creates just a different enough environment that it, it helps the movie feel original as opposed to, um, you know, you know, something like, uh, like Groundhog Day. Like he wakes up the same way every time. And I mean, Groundhog Day does a similar thing. Groundhog Day doesn't get tired because not every single day he wakes up and hears Ned Ryerson, um, calling out to him. Um, you know, he, uh, you know, it gives us different parts of, of the day and, you know, you, you, you skip and all of a sudden Bill Murray's an ice sculptor and, uh, you know, plays the piano really well and seems to know every single piece of information you can know. So like, it just helps keep it fresh as opposed to if you just wake up and experience on the battlefield, you know, the same scenario over and over again, like you would in a video game. Um, just helps to keep it a little bit fresher as a movie. I, I like seeing, um, so I don't know, Joe, you've probably seen this most recently, I guess, but um, what, so what, what is her, um, she's she's in i i remember a lot of scenes with the two of them like obviously her training him but also um coming up with a scheme together like to you know take down the alpha and all that kind of stuff or the omega or whatever it is but um like she's in on it how like he he still has to do the thing that bill murray had to do where like he has to like every day like like convince her that he's in a time loop right like yeah because like she essentially had the ability at first and then she had a blood transfusion. That's right. So, so that's how that comes up and they kind of foreshadow like, Hey, that could happen to you. So you have to die. Okay. Uh, yeah. Cause right. I remember the, I remember the scene where she, she's like, when you wake up tomorrow, come find me. Um, and I, I couldn't remember how she was kind of, so she, yeah, she's, she's like, she's kind of halfway aware of, of the <laughs> circumstances. Like in Groundhog day, like every time he wakes up it, everyone's like, he's trying to explain like, Hey, I'm, I'm reliving the same day over and over again. And no one's even, no one's even heard of that concept before. So like, how do you convince someone of something that they've never thought of before? But she's like the one person that can help them because she's like, no, I, I, I know that this exists. So. Yeah. yeah. And I think another great touch to it too, is that they have um, Noah Taylor play Dr. Carter and he's another co-conspirator and they literally, um, they're like, you're crazy. We're like, we're almost three in the psych ward. What we're going to do, we're going to like, you know, we're going to, gonna catch your pay and you're gonna just be on the assembly line rebuilding you know or stripping you of your title you know get out of here you're you're crazy man so it's kind of cool to see like no one no one believes them even though like science is actually staring them in the face like hey this is an actual thing that's happening and like we can we can turn the title of the war and no one wants to believe them if it was too <laughs> stubborn to uh to even come to that conclusion yeah. yeah joe did you uh have you do you have familiarity with uh, the manga for this one uh yeah i started reading like the first couple of chapters um i do know it takes somewhat of a departure uh, towards the end of it, uh, where there's kind of more or antagonist antagonistic approach with both the main characters, because mm-hmm. uh, Vitalsky kind of believes if either one of them, if they both have the ability, which they do, both have the ability in the manga, um, one of them is half has to die. Otherwise, you know, it will, the loop will continue to repeat. 
Um, so there is a confrontation between the two at the end, but uh, it follows a lot of the same beats. Um, the suits look more anime-esque, kind of like manga-based, um, less practical like they do uh, than they do in the film. And uh, it, it's actually great that they actually built those suits out practically. I think it really helps the film. It gives it more uh, kind of weight uh, uh, and less uncanny valley effect to it. Sure. Um, just looking through IMDb's trivia because I wanted to see um, if if there was a number of how many days he is supposed to have gone in it, and I can't find anything. But I did find um, this really fun thing that we talked about earlier. Um, Doug Lyman wanted to do this film because it showed a role that Tom Cruise hasn't hasn't done yet. Somebody who is very bad at what he does. And like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, and then the, the, the top line of trivia is just, and this is a perfect example of like how you do world building, like in a really subtle, really good way. Um, it says it's never stated in the movie, but in the manga, uh, the reason why Rita uses a melee weapon is because during her reset, she runs out of ammo a lot, which results in her death. So she is, um, uh, so she learns the convenience of a melee weapon and starts using one and gets really good at one and just realizes it's a little bit more reliable. So like mm. she uses a melee weapon in, in the film and it's just kind of let it that. And I never seem to question it, but like it makes total sense. It was, it was a cool nod to the manga. Cause like in the manga, it's a battle axe, but I kind of liked how it was more mm. practical. It, it's just a propeller from a helicopter sharpened. Yeah. Um, yeah. It takes, it takes the main character Kaiji like 40 something times to dive. Like, I'm running out of like ammo. I only have 22 shots of this spike that I shoot. So I need a battle axe. So he finally gets one. But, well, uh, and they make that a point several times to like, make sure you grab ammo or, you know, save your bullets, you know, like don't need a helmet. The, it's a distraction. Right. <laughs> right. They make a lot of points to be really smart about the gear they work with. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, I thought those were those were fun. And Phil, you were right. They, uh, the filmmakers define this as a crossover between Groundhog Day and Starship Troopers. You were right. Yeah, it definitely it, it feels like Starship um, a lot. I mean, the mimics are very similar. I, th- I think even in their style. Um, but yeah, what a great what a great movie. I, it makes me want to go back and watch it right now. I know, me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any other thoughts? I. This is such a small point. It's worth mentioning, I guess, at the very end. But like, I, I'm, I'm such a sucker for anything, any kind of movie, or honestly, any kind of property at all, where um, the woman is the more powerful person than the man. Like, um, and that's not. I'm not making a political statement or anything. I'm just saying, like, it, it's just it. I'm so tired of like the same thing over and over again. Where like, you know, the guy is going to be the hero and save the damsel in distress. Is like, nope, that's. That is the complete opposite of what you get in this movie. And it's, I think it's refreshing. That's right. She's the full metal bitch in this movie. Yeah. I like when they get their march orders. He's just like, the guy's about to say it. He doesn't even get to finish it and he gets punched on the ground. As <laughs> <laughs> we're walking. Apparently there's somebody who like, um, says, who calls out. It's like, oh, it's the full metal bitch. And that's Emily Blunt's, Blunt's younger brother who got a cameo. On the oh, movie. that's funny. Oh, so. uh, yeah. That's nice. Uh, film takes place in 2020. Um, I think that's a pretty similar experience to what we all had, yeah? Joe, <laughs> <laughs> um, so did you have any other final thoughts? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if this is intentional. It probably was by the filmmakers, but it was kind of fun to see uh, Bill Paxton be the sergeant opposed to being the grunt um, yeah. you know, from Aliens. So I thought that was really cool. His role was terrific. Uh, he's definitely like a, a very pivotal part at the very beginning of the film, kind of gets you uh, kind of sucked into the world and provides some uh, good levity and comedy. So yeah, it's pretty great. 
Yeah, him and the guy on their squad that that the fat guy on their squad that rolls up his pants. Sco's um, commando. Yeah, he's, he's just wearing whitey tidy whiteies in the back. You fight balls out, literally. <laughs> yeah, um, lots lots of fun stuff in there. Um, I could probably do with a little bit less of the teammate con- um, like uh, conflict at the beginning. Um, you know, but uh, whatever. Um, yeah, that's again a nitpick. A nitpick. You know, you had enough conflict. Um, you know, I, I and I think portraying the military in a way that would be like, you know, you're here. That's all that matters. Is you know, probably a probably a good way to portray that because I get the feeling that's more what it's like. Um, I'm not in the military, so I never have been. So I'm not gonna uh, you know say that from experience. Um, but um, okay, well, let's talk about the B plot then. Uh, this this isn't related to either of the movies because my wife feels the exact same way about both of these movies, uh, Edge of Tomorrow and Alita, that I do. Um, she really loves Edge of Tomorrow which she had seen before I met her uh, and she really likes Alita battle angel, but it has some of the same frustrations I do, which I showed her. Um, I think it was like the first COVID one of the first COVID movies we watched. Um, so, cause we just watched a bunch and she's like, let's watch this one. She's like, all right. Um, so this isn't necessarily going to be, or these aren't going to be one of my answers. This is just sort of a random let's, let's have something else. Um, I thought it'd be fun. Um, some movies that you love that your partner doesn't or, some uh, movies that your partner loves that you don't. Um, I only have two listed because um, none of mine are uh, movies that uh, Abby loves that I don't because I don't watch a lot of the movies she does because she <laughs> she likes but will never say they're good and doesn't force them on me. But anything that's like sappy and like cheesy and all that, like, you know, she likes them. Um, but she's not willing to call them good and she doesn't force them on me. So I don't have to watch them. Um, I really lucked out guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the cheesier, the better um, for her. And, but, uh, but she's also a pretty like mild mannered opinion. She's just kind of like, it's either good or it's not. I, I either enjoyed it or I didn't. Um, so this is actually a harder list for me than, than I initially thought. So I only have two uh, written down. How many of you guys have written them or have, I mean, I can do as, as many, many as you want. There's, there's, there's quite a bit of uh, crossover in both directions for us. So. Nice. What do you got, Joe? Uh, I have a list of one, but I, I can come up with a ton, though. Uh, <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> I'm curious to see um, movies. Let's start off with uh, one of the categories that I don't have. Um, let's start off with, uh, it, it, Phil, give me a movie that your partner loves that you really do. Okay, so she, and this is maybe true of a lot of girls, I don't know, but um, she is definitely into the um, Jane Austen kind of like, you know, old older English kind of movies. So, uh, you know, Pride and Prejudice or um, Emma, you know, anything like that. Um, she's really into the, she's into the books um, first and foremost, and then obviously loves the, the movies as well. So, um yeah, I've I've tried watching those movies with her, and I um I just just cannot get into it. It's just mm-hmm. not not at all what I'm looking for in a movie going experience. So yeah, my my wife saw the Notebook once. She's like, "That's a terrible movie," and <laughs> I actually got her to watch it with me because I had never seen it, and I was talking about Ryan Gosling's filmography on Robert's podcast, so we had to watch it, and we were both like, "Yeah, this is a really bad movie." So, um, <laughs> so yeah, um. That, that was probably the one go-to that a lot of guys could answer. That uh, <laughs> Guys, I'm telling you, I lucked out. I got the best one. There you go. <laughs> Joe, do you have any examples like that? Uh, probably the biggest example I could think of like in recent memory was um, uh, Mandy, uh, 2018, uh, directed by uh, Panos Cosmatos. Um, I love the movie. Um, I can see why she doesn't. It. Um, it's, it's pretty wild. 
uh, it starts out being kind of an art house film and kind of devolves into a kind of grindhouse film. Um, and it's, it's pretty wild and it's Nicolas Cage, uh, Cage now at times. So, uh, yeah, I can see why it's not in her wheelhouse, but I mean, I, I love that film. It was my favorite film in 2018. Uh, okay. But I won't make her um, watch it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I'm looking through my filmography on my lowest rated, uh, letterboxed films. Um, I, I do, I don't know that Abby loves this film, but she definitely really liked it and I hated it. Uh, but the 2019 Charlie's Angels with Kristen Stewart, uh, that's a bad movie and she really liked it. <laughs> uh, we saw it in theaters, um, because she wanted to go and I was like, fine. Um, so that's, again, she doesn't love it, but I hate it. Uh, Phil, you got another one? Um, yeah, I'll go the other direction. So, um, the movies that, that I loved when I was growing up, um, that are like really dumb, like really to, to be to be fair like geared towards guy guys you know viewers uh, comedies and stuff like that so some of my favorite comedy movies of all time are like dumb and dumber um the cable guy um you know i even like the east ventura movies so like you know that jim carrey stuff but then like i also really like adam Sa- early adam sandler like he's mm-hmm. really you know gone downhill over the years but like, i um, keep trying to get my wife to watch billy madison with dude me and- <laughs> B- billy uh, as far as comedy, co- comedy movies billy madison is a top five for me oh, uh- <laughs> um but like but she would never watch i mean she won't she's not gonna watch that movie um happy gilmore um and then um I really like like Tommy Boy, and mm-hmm. I, like Tommy Boy is one of those like she'll she'll watch it if if I'm watching it and kind of laugh at a few of the jokes. Um, but to me, it's like I can quote the movie, and I'm I'm totally into everything. And I know I I know like what the next scene is going to be, and she just is never going to get into that stuff. So um, and then I, I have a category that you didn't ask for, but it's if it, if it's kind of it's interesting. There is a movie series that I used to love. And I made my wife watch it, um, and she hated it. But then, a- as I watched it with her, I also grew to hate it. <laughs> she like changed my mind about the movie, and that is the Austin Powers uh, series. Oh, the interesting. Ori- the original Austin Powers movie. Um, I hadn't watched in like 15 years or something like that. I was like, this movie's so great. Like, and I love James Bond, and so I was like, and she loves James Bond. So I was just like. Hey, like you would love this movie. It's it's such a great parody of, of those films. And we went back and watched it together. And by the end of the movie, I was like, "I'm sorry, I made you watch that. That was terrible. <laughs> like, I just it does not hold up at all." So, um, but yeah, for, for as far as like stuff that I still love, it's it's those early, um, you know, maybe uh, uh, you know, play, playboyish kind of kind of films. You know, the, the movies that are geared towards boys, just you know, got men being boys that she just cannot stand. So. Mm. Yeah, I think Abby likes those. I just try to convince her, you know, like I'm a little bit younger than you, Phil, but like um, I have a lot of love for like the bench warmers. Um, it's not a good movie, but man, it makes me crack up a lot. Yeah. Uh, I, I keep on like anytime, anytime there's a penguin nearby or like I was playing the Batman Arkham games and I was just quoting Billy Madison where he's driving around the golf cart. He's like, here, Mr. Penguin. And she's just like, what are you, what are you doing? And I was just like, it's from a movie. We should watch it sometime. And she's never taken me up on it. Um, but she's she's like I will one day, just not today. Uh, I'll give one of my two. Uh, I I love La La Land. I mentioned that before, and uh, Abby does not. Um, I haven't seen it with her. She said she saw it when it came out, um, and I do understand why people don't like the movie. Um, if if you're looking for a happy ending, um, but I think everything about this movie is just perfect, um, and I think that the ending is maybe the 
one of the best endings of all time. Um, so I don't know if she was just looking for it to be more of a like, um, you know, happy story than it actually is. Um, so I don't know. She just, she, we, she hasn't rewatched it with me um, or since one viewing, but she really didn't like it. And, you know, when her mind is set on something, it's usually, um, is it like that when she really doesn't like something, she's usually not willing to go back to it. So I'm just willing to let her be wrong on that one. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure one day we'll watch it, but at least as of now, Abby does not like La La Land and I adore it. Hmm. So um, yeah. Joe, do you have another one to throw out there? Uh, yeah, just in general, uh, to kind of piggyback up what Phil was saying, um, anything that had kind of like a male power fantasy centric type of film, so any type of like 80s kind of action movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger or uh, you know Stallone, she's not feeling those. And I, and I get it because like it's literally through the guise of male power fantasy and through it's a guy's perspective, uh, yeah. which, which hurts me a little bit because you know, Conan and the Barbarian is like one of my favorite films of all time. It was like the height of high fantasy at that, at that point in time. Uh, but I totally get it. And so like, I'll maybe watch it by myself. She comes in a room. She happens to be watching it. You know, then we'll, we'll continue watching it. But there's other times we're like, oh, I'll acquiesce. I'll go and I'll change this and we'll put on something else. Um, but our compromise is Van Damme movies. Cause they're just so cheesy. Uh, especially the nineties ones, they work so well. And plus he's eye candy too. So, you know, it, yeah. it works, it works for everybody. You know what I mean? You get a couple yeah, of Van sure. Damme butt shots here and there. <laughs> oh yeah. I need to show Abby sudden death because I've gotten her into hockey and I watched Sudden Death for the first time maybe a year ago, a couple months ago. It's a ridiculous uh, movie. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And it's it's kind of bad, but like there's enough like a love for hockey and for really bad action movies. <laughs> as far as diehard clones go, you could probably be worse. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's very true. I mean, the diehard clones that I think are tolerable, um, you know, Under Siege, I think is a pretty great movie um for, for what it is <laughs> you, you, um, you watch it pretty recently <laughs> I'm, I'm sure i'm it's sure rough. it's on my, I, I want to yeah. uh but I, I have a lot of fond memories of under siege it's no yes, speed uh, speed is probably yeah. the second best i think oh speed's excellent but um yeah i just don't know if it's a diehard tired clone but yeah i guess you know um all right, I'll give the I'll give my one last one. If you guys want to want want one more round, we can do that. If you want to just pass, then that's that's fine. Um, uh, but this is the one movie that I showed my wife that she had not seen before. That she got up and walked out during during it. Now, to be fair, she got up and uh, went to the kitchen and started making dinner. Um, uh, like, but she was like, "I'm just not interested in what's going on." Um, but that's fine. You sit down and enjoy your movie and which is also like, I do most of the cooking in the house. And so, you know, this isn't like, uh, you know, like you sit down and enjoy your movie and I'm going to get like, it's kind of a rarity that that happens. But, uh, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Um, I showed her that because, uh, of her love of baby driver, which is one of her favorite movies. Um, and, uh, I showed her Shaun of the Dead and hot fuzz and she really loved both of those. We haven't gotten to the world's end yet um we went and saw last night in soho i really love that movie um but she she's like scott pilgrim just isn't my vibe and i get it she's she has the only video games she's ever played in her life i think are the lego harry potter games so like um you know eight nostalgia video games mean nothing to her um you know and it could be a mood thing um but i you know i get it's not everybody's cup of tea and it's it's lower tier Edgar Wright for me, but lower tier Edgar Wright is still like really good movie. Um, and I, I, it definitely has uh, a couple of things that are maybe a little icky about it. Um, kind of intentionally, you know, 
um, uh, specifically with the, the relationship that Scott has with the Jinx character. But, uh, yep. Um, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I really like that movie. And, uh, my wife was uninterested halfway through this. Episode. Scott's actually a more likable character in the movie too. So that's a little, yeah, yeah. In the comic, he's a little more of a dirt. He's bag. not a likable character in the movie at all. So like, that's well, the other I, thing. I, that's I what understand. I'm saying. <laughs> I, I thought there would be at least enough of, you know, Chris Evans in his role and, um, you know, Brie Larson in a really early role for her career. Um, like, I thought there would be maybe enough of those, like, that's Chris Evans, like, playing this John claude Van Damme type character. But, um, you know, I thought maybe there would be enough of that to keep her. Um, but it, whatever, you know, people have different tastes and I'm not faulting her for um, for not liking these, you know, artist objectives. So um, here we go. Um, so that that was mine. Uh, do you guys have one more? Or you want to just move on? I I talked a lot already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just to just to piggyback off the uh, the Scott Pilgrim thing, like that's I think I've seen that movie so many times that like uh, my wife would be like, "We're just we're not watching that. We just watched that." But it may, it may have been <laughs> even a few months ago, and she'd be like, "We just watched that. We don't need See, to watch I'm, it." Because we've seen I'm it so many person. times. I'm that person, and it's it's not even if we've seen it so many times. I mean, first of all, it is, but it's just like if I've seen it recently enough, like I usually will gravitate towards wanting to watch something I haven't seen or haven't seen in a long time. So, you know, but Abby is the type of person that would be content with 20 movies, and that's it for the rest of her life. So, um, you know, she's it's constantly like, uh, do you want to watch Baby Driver? And I'm like, kind of, yeah, but like, just not tonight. Ask me again tomorrow. Um, so, um there we go. Well, uh, we just got one more thing to do, and that's the spinoff. Um, Phil, why don't you kick us off? What is that one thing in any area of pop culture that you're really just dying to tell everybody, hey, this is great, or hey, this kind of sucks? Well, I was going to go I'll, – I'll say what I was going to go with, and then I want to actually change it. Uh, to <laughs> that's, that's fine. More... We don't have to put video graphics on the screen. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, more topical, I, I guess, for what we're talking about today, but – um, I, I just recently watched for the first time uh, for our podcast, actually the Disney Plus podcast, uh, the 2017 Beauty and the Beast remake. So mm. we're, we're talking about musicals earlier. I had never seen, of course, seen the original animated 20 times, but I, I had never seen the the remake with um, Emma Watson, and uh, it's phenomenal. It's it's really great. I I was actually um, really surprised with um, all the added stuff that you know that they put into it that I really liked. Um, it's just too bad that Emma Watson cannot sing. Um, that's, the, that's the only negative thing um, I have on it. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. But I, I thought um, since we're talking about time loop, this is not a time loop movie, um, but it kind of some of our conversation kind of reminded me of it. Um, I, I After talking to you guys tonight, I really want to go back and watch Memento, uh, the 2000 Christopher <laughs> Nolan movie. Um, now, some of your younger listeners may not have actually seen this movie, um, you want to talk about, you know, uh, low budget under the radar type of type of thing. And it came out 21 years ago, but, um, man, if you've not seen Memento, go watch that movie. It is absolutely, I don't even want to tell you much about it. Um, it, I, I will just say that I watched it the first time I watched it. I, 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 I just, I knew I was watching history in the making, like instant classic. This is what, you know, basically you know, it's, it's like his first real film. Like he did like a, you know, like an indie uh, thing that nobody saw right before it. But um, really this is like what catapulted Nolan into the stratosphere. And, and yet probably a lot of people just haven't seen it. Um, all, all I want to say is that it is basically a guy investigating 
his wife's murder, but he has like this really rare form of amnesia where he remembers everything in his life before an accident of like a physical accident happens to him. He gets injured. And since then um, is like gold. He has a goldfish memory. He only goes like 15 minutes and then he forgets everything that happened. And he, he remembers 15 minutes and then he remembers, he, for, he forgets everything that happened. Yeah, he, he doesn't have the capacity to turn short term into long term memory. Yeah. And yeah. so, so yeah. So uh, the way that it's shot as you watch it um, and this will convince you to, to watch it probably this part of it, but um, half of the movie is, is, is you're watching it in forward time. And then the other half of the movie, you're watching it in reverse. Uh, it's reverse storytelling. And so every time you're watching one of those scenes, um, you have no idea what happens right just, you know, seconds before the scene starts because you haven't seen it yet. And so the audience is actually put into the same mindset as the main character um, that being that he doesn't remember what just happened to him. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's one of the most unique movies ever made um, just because of that. And though not a time loop movie, it does involve, um, you know, somebody basically like starting over. <laughs> um, it's just the, it's the opposite of Groundhog Day where he doesn't remember anything. I mean, I guess it's more like Alita, but like he just, he doesn't remember what literally just happened to him just a few seconds ago and has to, you know, kind of go from there. So yeah, definitely Memento from 2000. Uh, it's definitely worth a watch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's one of those movies that I think uh, a lot of film buffs have seen, but uh, maybe not a, a casual film follower, but yeah, it's uh, it's incredible. Good pick. Uh, Joe, what do you got for us? Yeah, that's a terrific film. You could do a double feature with uh, The Machinist. If you want to get kind of like in that same type of mindset. That'd be a rough night. <laughs> <laughs> be pretty dour. Um, yeah, I just put down some anime recommendations since what we're talking about was based off of certain source oh, materials, nice both hmm. one yeah. anime, um, especially Battle Angel uh, slash Gundam from 1993, the uh, two-part OVA. It's like, a, it's like an hour and 30 minutes. Uh, Ghost in the Shell, 1995, uh, not to be mistaken with the film, the feature-length film. Um, Akira, 1988, which is probably one of the most prolific anime ever made. Um, and Goku, uh, Goku, the Midnight Eye, which is kind of similar in tone. It's very cyberpunky. So uh, there's some recommendations if you want to get into the mindset that watches too. Yeah. Um, I think great picks. I, I hadn't heard of most of this. Yeah, I, I think Akira is anime. Crazy, you know? <laughs> Yeah. I know Akira and Ghost of the Shell are, yeah. are two of the hi- most highly considered animes of all time. And Akira is getting a live action treatment soon. Although I think Taika just dropped out of it. Um, Taika with TT. Another person dropped out of it? I think. I could be wrong. But I know he was attached. I think he just can't commit to this a schedule frame that they want to go because he's working on. He's pretty busy now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because he's working on a ton of things. So yeah, um, yeah it looks like it has changed to a, a Japanese director. Oh, no, sorry. I'm looking at the animated, um, the the actual um, film. Um, it still has him attached, but I, I thought he was... Um, I, I'm sh- Look, I'm sure if they want Taika to do it, then he will he will do it, and they will rearrange their schedule so he can do it. Right. But, yeah, he's got, uh, got a ton of things working on. Um, Star Wars, Tower of Terror, <laughs> Thor, Love and Thunder, um, Flash Gordon, he's apparently writing. Uh, oh, that's going to be awesome. Yeah, plus all of his TV work, you know, Reservation Dogs, Wellington, Paranormal, TV. What we do in the shadows, bunch of stuff. Um, all right, uh, we've talked about a lot of things that you should really check out. I'm going to give you one thing that you need to stay far, far, far away from. It is also animated, uh, guys. You really need to stay away from this Injustice movie. 
Uh, it is probably the worst animated DC movie I've ever seen. Um, wow. I know, man. And look, I Dude, there's have some so stinkers much... too. <laughs> I know, right? Well, look, I haven't seen them all. You know, mm-hmm. um, I typically just get to the good ones and or, or like new ones that I'm excited about, like the Long Halloween Part One and Two, which are which are fine. They're just not great, uh, but they're not bad. Um, you know, uh, Hush is a pretty unfaithful adaptation, but not not bad. Um, same with like Superman Red Sun. Um, but, uh, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of disappointments coming out Injustice takes, I adore the two video games and I really like the comics that release subsequently with them. Um, I just, um, I think that, um, it takes the first five minutes, um, the very initial setup, um, which is an incredible setup, by the way, I'll just spoil it for you. So, um, so Joker comes to Metropolis and he, uh, decides to toy with the Justice League and he's been toying with Batman all this time, but he wants to toy with Superman for once. Lois Lane, uh, you find out she's pregnant and then, uh, Joker is in Metropolis. So Batman's like, Hey, uh, I'm going to Metropolis and the Justice League is coming because Joker has, or because there's a nuclear missile that's gone missing. So Joker's in Metropolis. There's a nuke that's gone missing recently. Um, all that. Um, and then not only that, but Scarecrow also has been found killed with Joker toxin. Uh, and so Joker, I'm simplifying all this a lot, um, <laughs> but um, but Joker uses Scarecrow's fear toxin to trick Superman into seeing Doomsday. And then he takes Doomsday to space to not destroy the Earth. Uh, and, and, uh, and because the closer you can get to the sun, the more powerful he can be. So the more likely he is to defeat Doomsday. But because he was under Scarecrow's fear toxin, he wind up ca- carrying Lois Lane and his unborn child into space, killing them. This is dark, by the way. Um, and attached to her heartbeat um, is the, uh, the detonation of the nuclear bomb. So when she dies in space, her heartbeat goes flat. A nuke goes off in Metropolis and destroys the city. Um, that's the setup. So, so Superman goes and kills the Joker and becomes an evil dictator and says, and says, I'm going to become the ultimate authority. And he becomes a dictator and starts a regime. That's an amazing setup, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and it has some really great stuff. The, the movie um, takes that setup and then completely abandons the rest of the source material. It has different characters in it. There are characters that are really important to the games and comic that aren't in the movie at all. There are characters that are really important to the movie that aren't in the games at all. Um, lots of flip-flop. There is barely any multiverse stuff, which is huge in the games. Um, wow. um, and definitely there is no two Batmans, which the game is based off of. Um, the voice acting isn't very good. The animation is pretty bland and uninspired and doesn't really fit the tone. This goes for blood for blood's sake. Um, guys, I hated, hated, hated this movie. <laughs> Sounds um, like it. Jeez. Um, is it worse than the killing joke? Uh, yeah. Yes. Because here's the thing. I, I really love the second half of the killing joke I, when it becomes actually part of the comic. Um, I did. And the other thing too, is the video game and the comic make that, that backstory that I gave you, um, empathetic and emotional. Like I felt something for those characters when that was going on. And this movie is completely lacking any sort of emotional heartstring to it. Hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, yes, this is the worst animated DC film I've ever seen, uh, for sure. Uh, so, so I guess you didn't like it. Okay, let's get <laughs> <laughs> uh, Especially if you love, especially if you like or love the source material. Yeah. Don't waste your money. Don't waste your time. Um, if you have seen it, look. I, I know that Nick, who was on the episode last week, want, like liked the movie, but 
like I'm sure there's an audience out there, but if you have any affinity for the source material, um, if you have any affinity for these characters, I'm just, please don't don't waste your time. Don't waste your money. I've heard nothing but horrible things about it. So you're, well, you're, you're not in the minority at all. I saw all the Letterbox reviews, and it's tanking on Letterbox. But the, like the top review is like a really bad um, movie for a really bad storyline. It was just like you know, like this person also thought the games were bad. I think they're some. It's it's the first Injustice is my favorite fighting game ever. Um, like in terms of like the you know player versus player, Mortal, Marvel versus Capcom, Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, that kind of stuff. Um, the first Injustice is my favorite. Um, just go play the games instead. So, <laughs> by the way, I, I don't know if I should be um, pitching, supporting this or whatever. Uh, I, I think I think it's legal, uh, but uh, I because I, I cannot play fighting games at all. Like I just I cannot stand that genre of, of gaming. Um, but I heard the stories were so good in the Injustice games. You can actually go on YouTube and find like just all the cinematics mm-hmm. like stitched together. Yep. And that's how I experienced those games. I just I literally just watched YouTube. Um, yeah just the story parts so it's all you don't really need them because it it, the stories literally take you into the fight and then they end like the only time you're actually doing anything is when it's combat and you know um, yeah so maybe maybe go seek out one of those youtube videos instead of this movie (laughs) yeah yeah i mean or do the video games if you're a gamer if you're not a gamer yeah yeah, do the youtube i heard the Uh, comics are good too so if you're into comics yeah they're great they're great. You don't get a lot of you don't get all the backstory in the video game alone. Um, they want yeah. they wanted it to work hand in hand with the comics. Um, but uh, yeah, they're 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 both great. Just not the movie. Um, I, I, yeah, I think Injustice is a, is a great storyline. I don't know what that one person was <laughs> was saying. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but it made me wonder. Like, do people hate this these games? I thought they were beloved when they came out. You know, but uh, but also I thought that Dear Evan Hansen was universally beloved, like the story. And obviously, that's not true because um, there was a lot of people that were like, thank God, you know, we're finally able to all hate this and love the musical. Um, <laughs> well, on that note, that's a wrap. Uh, quick reminder that Sif Pop Riders Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. Uh, you can check out other great shows, such as Disney Plus Reviews, uh, by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player or by going to studiodna.media. And if you want to write for SifPop.com um, or, or you want to get in contact with, us, with, contact with us for the show, maybe send us a question to explore during the B-plot. Uh, give us some feedback. You can email writersroom at SifPop.com. Uh, and you can also get in contact with me on Twitter at Schweitcastle or follow me on Letterboxd. Uh, but that's ways to contact me in the show. Uh, Phil, where do you want to send people to? Um, obviously, Sif Pop. I, you know, I, I produce that show. And um, check out the live show. If you've never seen the show live, it, it really does come alive. Um, you know, if you're watching it as it's being recorded, you can get into the chat and, you know, interact with the guys and stuff like that. Um, or girl, um, as we have uh, different guests on every week. Mm-hmm. So check that out. And then I um, co-host a, a podcast with my friend Grant. Um, it's called Disney Plus Reviews. So if you are a Disney Plus subscriber and want to hear uh, two guys that are just average Joe um, <laughs> movie reviewers, um, we review the TV shows as well. Like we do, um, we've reviewed every single episode of every Marvel stuff thing, uh, show that came out this year. And then, you know, the new new movies that come out, uh, we're reviewing those as well. And so check us out. Um, just search Disney Plus Reviews wherever podcasts are sold. Yeah. Well, what about you, Joe? Yeah, you could uh, go and find me on Instagram on uh, the Star Spangled Avenger. Um, I'm just score under each one of those. Uh, if you want to talk comics, movies, uh, action figures, anything, whatnot. Uh, and then also, yeah, just go to sifpod.com, uh, Check out the articles weekly. 
Uh, got some really talented and awesome writers on there. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if you haven't given Joel a follow, I promise it's a great follow. Um, lots of good stuff going on there, including some really creative Halloween costumes. I love the Adams Family one. It's great. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, uh, that'll do it for this episode next week I got uh, Matt and Mike two new Stiff Pop writers that'll be joining for a TV catch up um, so we'll be talking about that and then next month for uh, comic book stuff Joe and I will return we'll be with Frank again uh, and we'll talk about all things MCU phase 4 so um, Spider-Man Far From Home um, uh, WandaVision um, uh, Loki Falcon and the Winter Soldier What If uh, Black Widow, Shang-Chi, and Legend of the Ten Rings, uh, The Eternals, and I think that is right before Spider-Man No Way Home comes out, so we'll make sure to hit you up with a mini-review. Uh, the th- uh, Joe and Frank will be invited for that um, to kind of cap off that episode. Um, so MCU Phase 4 stuff coming up soon. Uh, Frank's back on the show, coming up soon. Uh, should be a good time. We'll see you back here then.